Greetings and salutations. You've successfully arrived at the bloody, disgusting network. The passage of time will now bring you to something strange, unique, and idiosyncratic. Have a good time. Listen to this. This is the tape I found downstairs. It has been a number of years since I began excavating the ruins of Kandar with a group of my colleagues. Now my wife and I have retreated to a small cabin in the solitude of these mountains. I believe I have made a significant find in the Kandarian ruins, a volume of ancient Sumerian burial practices and funerary incantations. It is entitled Naturan de Manto, roughly translated Book of the Dead. From the gnarled woods of Michigan to the sun-kissed skyline of L.A. We are Halloweenies! You said, I hope you understand when you read this letter that you're better off without me. Come surround me in stormy weather. Stormy weather. It always surrounds me. Greetings and welcome yet again to Halloweenies, a horror franchise podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Fake Shimp, Justin Gerber. And after a couple of brief sojourns to the medieval ages, to uh, suburban uh, women dealing with uh, going, being dragged to hell, as it were, after, you know, taking a couple trips to, to remake land, going off and seeing other places that, that terrify us, we're going back to the shack. And I'm not talking about Alan Arkish's Caddyshack 2 from the late 80s. I'm talking about, we're going back to the Cabin Shack, Evil Dead 2013, directed by Fetty Alvarez. I did all that off the cuff. I'm pretty proud with that introduction. And we're going to keep charging along here, chugging along as it were. We're going to discuss the first time that we remember seeing Evil Dead 2013, which I have a feeling will have very similar stories. (laughs) But who knows? Who's to say, as one of our favorite film critics likes to close off their own dissertations, Let's go start with somebody who's also in Chicago, this person I've known for a long time. And actually, we're recording today, and it's this person's birthday. They just turned 47 years old. Oh, my God. Yeah, I did. <laughs> Mike, um, introduce yourself and talk about the first time you remember seeing Evil Dead 2013. Hey, this is Michael Maniac Ash Rothman, or should I say Maniac Mia Rothman? I'll, I'll stick with that one. I saw this opening night on Thursday. Uh, or maybe it was a Wednesday or Thursday, but I, I do remember when it, it was the first night it opened, and I saw it alone uh, down at River East in Chicago, mostly because I had this feeling, it was probably because Caffrey was busy and probably couldn't go, and then I didn't even think to ask the Gerbers because I was so worried that they are just going to hate this movie <laughs> because this is such a beloved franchise to, to, to us all. So I was like, all right, I'm going alone. There's no way in hell my then wife was going to go with me especially to this fucking movie. And uh, I had a fucking blast. I, I I went in with low expectations, really kind of I had this like angst because we're, you know, we're coming off of a, a very weird time for horror. And I just was like, well, aren't we done with the remake craze? Like, are, why are we doing this? And I just was smiling uh, cheek to cheek and uh, walked out there, and I think it was my first review for. Um, at the time, I was trying to do film criticism because we were just, you know, I was primarily in, in, in music, 
world with a consequence. And I was trying to do film criticism. I was working with uh, my old pal, uh, Dominic Suzanne Mayer. And I want to say this is one of the first reviews I did for him. Mm. Maybe around the same time that uh, another Raimi picture came out, Oz the Great and the Powerful. So yeah, very... God, it's it's kind of wild to think that that was almost already 10 years ago, but here we are. It's almost been 10 years since that fucking movie has come out. And uh, and like you said, yes, I'm getting a little older. Um, not so wiser, but uh, hey, the cake still tastes great. <laughs> They'll be on your tombstone. Yeah, that's going to be my, yeah. <laughs> the cake still tastes great. By the way, folks, Mike is not, everybody home is probably like, wow, Mike looks really good for 47. He's not 47 years old. He's not 47. He's, 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 young, he's younger than me. He's much younger 25. than me. 25. 25 um, years young. <laughs> All right, let's head on up to the northeast. You know, they call like bad storms like nor'easters, right? Is have you experienced a nor'easter up in the northeast yet? To our next guest, host? Uh, this is uh, this is Dan Grandpa Caffrey, and <laughs> I don't know what constitutes a nor'easter exactly. I don't know if it's just a bad northeastern hurricane or storm, in which case I have experienced it, or if it has to be some very specific weather pattern. I feel like I always associate them with. New England, because it sounds like something that you'd hear in a Stephen King novel, like, ah, Nor'easter. Ah, we got um, one of those Nor'easters. Nor'easter. 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 So I'd have to double check. I, I will say my uh, family, who all lives on Long Beach Island, New Jersey, they had to evacuate during Hurricane Sandy in one of those amphibious military vehicles, like the military came to everyone's houses and got them out. There's pictures of my grandparents in the back of there. Um, but I don't know if that was Nor'easter. I guess that's just a good old-fashioned... Horrible hurricane that ruined the infrastructure of the state. I like good old-fashioned horrible hurricane. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. good old-fashioned horrible weather that we keep mm. experiencing and, and we'll continue to experience. But maybe not. Maybe we'll fight it. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. The first time I saw 2013's Evil Dead. Now, Mike, I, I rem- maybe I'm misremembering. I remember seeing this with you at the Davis, but had you already seen it? Because I, I feel like... Did you now, see it twice in theaters? I, I don't remember if I saw it twice. Maybe I think it wasn't you. When then. it comes to remakes, I know I saw Nightmare on Elm Street with you, but that was a yeah. Webster with Mac. And yeah, I, I remember think that, that very well. I don't, were you there for the Fright Night remake? Because I know I remember definitely seeing the Fright Night remake. Yes. At no, maybe the Davis. I think I'm conflating the two because I saw okay. that with you at yeah. the Davis. Because you like that. I don't dislike I do that movie, yeah. but you like you like that better than the original, right? Am I, am uh, that's my wrong? that's that was my hot take for a while. I think I've come around well my, now my cool hot take down. is i like i think fright night 2 is better than fright night 1 but that's my you're of course talking oof. about the most recent fright night 2 which is a really controversial take mm. <laughs> i am yeah yeah the dtv um, one yeah so i guess it wasn't you then but I, maybe maybe it was the gerbers i saw it with but um yeah i saw it at the davis uh, i think pre this would have been pre-renovation because it was 2013 i love the davis don't love it as much as the music box, but I still love it. And it was within walking distance pretty much the entire time I lived in Chicago. And I have to be honest, I I didn't hate the movie or anything when it came out. I just didn't remember much from it at all. I remember it being really grisly and a lot more serious-minded than, maybe not than the first Evil Dead, but then more serious, I think, or sobering than a lot of the series. I remember the bathroom scene with Olivia pretty well, but that was kind of it. So I was excited to watch this again. Um I'm going to save my thoughts because I let's just say I was surprised Uh, and watching it this time around I was kind of taken aback by how much I didn't remember because I think there's a lot to remember with this movie there's a lot of very striking sequences I mean honestly like a ton I think um, almost back to back so I don't know I don't know maybe I was having a bad day back then I it's it's weird for me not to be able to remember movies but yeah all I really remembered was that bathroom scene so, yeah, I'm really, really excited to be on this episode today. It, it, this movie still feels like kind of an anomaly to me, like in a weird 
caught in a weird time in pop culture also. Like, it doesn't feel like the remakes that came after it, but it doesn't feel like the remakes that came before it either. And we'll even discuss whether or not this is a remake. A little yeah, bit later right. on I know, in, in the podcast. Too. Yeah, I have, I have some questions about that. But, uh, I have a lot well, of questions also, as well. I should preface this with I, I don't I don't know about our other our fourth guest, but um, I know of the two have spoken already. I am the only one who hasn't seen Ash versus Evil Dead, so I don't know if that gets addressed at all on the show. Maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. Nope. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. But who else do we have? Well, Dan, great transition because we do have a special <laughs> guest for this episode. Uh, she's been on before, yeah. and uh, you were on for Scream. Which Scream were you on for? The, the, the first, first one. one. Oh, the gee. first one. Have you been on for any other Halloweenies episodes? I can't remember if you did. Demons. Demons. You're on Demons. Another another great movie. And Prince of Darkness. Okay, I yeah. was on Prince of Darkness, but there you go. Yeah. So if you if you are a Patreon subscriber, and why aren't you? If you aren't, to be honest, why, what's wrong with you? Uh, patreon.com backslash Halloweenies pod. Please subscribe to listen to some more great episodes, great episodes <laughs> who identify yourself and, and talk oh, about yeah. the first time <laughs> you saw evil dead 2013. Hey, this is Rachel, the most terrifying film you will ever experience Reeves. Oh, yes. And I did not see this in the theater mm. when it came out. I was being a bit of a brat about it. I feel like looking back now where it was one of those things where it was like, Ugh, how dare they? How dare they remake this film? And for some reason, got just was like being really snobby about it. I didn't actually know much about it, the production and all that kind of stuff. And so I didn't see it when it came out. And then a used copy of the Blu-ray floated through the record store I was working at at the time or, you know, when... It finally got released on Blu-ray. So I picked it up and watched it and was like, well, damn. You know, got egg all over my face because I thought this was great. I was like, this is so good. And I it kind of reshaped my entire outlook on these kind of projects. And I feel like that's probably honestly one of the biggest takeaways that this movie gave me is it kind of gave me a different way to approach these kind of things that are... Yeah you know, films being remade of beloved projects and kind of has helped me keep a more open mind moving forward because, uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it and thought that the direction they went was great. So, yeah, I'm excited to hear your guys' thoughts on that. Well, this. I think we talked a little bit about that in our our remakes, the multiple remakes episodes we've had, whether it was rebooting something for TV or just remaking something on, on film about the context upon which these movies are made. Um, I think for for me, and by the way, we'll keep everybody in suspense about when and who Dan and Mike saw this movie with, because I can't remember, but I'm pretty sure I saw it with both of them at the Davis <laughs> in Chicago, Illinois, with my brother. I definitely saw it with my brother. No, I take it back. I did not see it with my brother. He didn't see it until years later. I saw it at the Davis. I saw it at the Davis. That's all Maybe I remember. Maybe you and I saw it. And then That's possible. I don't fucking know, I don't man. Know. I, who yeah. knows? A lot's happened in the last nine years, everybody. I guess um, there are more important things that have happened in the last nine years than who we saw <laughs> Evil this should be like the number 23 or something. I'm going to be looking around like, trying to look for hints as to when I saw this fucking movie. I think that's the plot. Uh, the pole. The Jim Carrey number 23 yeah. when he's well, like honor playing Joel a fucking Schumacher. saxophone. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. All right. You saw so, that, Mike, didn't you? I, I did didn't see, see that. that. Yeah, sadly. I, I associate that with the jacket, neither of which I've seen. <laughs> yeah, great stretch of film. Uh, well, I will say the, the number 23 and the jacket, as far as I know, are not remakes. The jacket's probably like a French remake of some French film or something yeah, like sure. that. But. Yeah. <laughs> We love the French here on Halloweenies. Uh, it, was, it was definitely a choice for Adrian Brody to be like, you know, I just won an Oscar. Let me do this obscure fucking fringe horror movie next. Uh, at, we'll know, do. We'll do have to do a, uh, an investigation later on. I feel like ninety nine percent of all people who win like Best Actor, Best Actress, they always their next project is always a dud. 
Yeah. That's just the way it goes. Anyway, back in 2013, here's a couple things. It, it is all about place and time and, and where you are. Because when this movie came out, it's, it's, it was a different era as, as to how we're looking at it now. Three things I think about that kind of hindered my vision of it. And a lot of other people who I've t- talked to, I remember talking to around the time, is a year before this came out, a movie called Cabin in the Woods came out that kind of deconstructed and lovingly deconstructed the Cabin in the Woods horror movie. And so I remember when this, when ads started coming out for this, people were kind of like, I don't know, we just, can we put a, an end to this? Isn't the Cabin in the Woods story done in a lot of ways? And then you mentioned it in your nickname, Rachel, when your print campaign is the most terrifying movie you will ever see, the expectations, I mean, come on, the expectations are extremely high. The third thing I think this movie had going against it is around this time, for 20 years, the fandom was still very much all about, is Evil Dead coming back? And the only thought we had is, is that just meant, is Ash coming back? Yeah. And I think that those were three things that kind of, I'm not saying we, we were against it, like, I, I'm not going to see this movie, but I, I saw it in theaters, like, opening week, I think. I still want to see it, but... I think that those three things hurt it, but now what I'm saying is it's been nine years. It's been nine years. We've had distance. It's been 12 years since Cabin in the Woods. We got 15 hours of Ash in Ash vs. Evil Dead yeah. in the interim. 99% of people who are watching this for the first time are not going to remember that poster. So I think you're able to go into this with a totally different view, especially if you're seeing it for the first time. You're not going to have all that baggage with it because we had conclusions to Ash. We don't remember promo campaigns from 12 years ago. We don't remember Cabin in the Woods in that way. So I went into it with fresh eyes, and I have to say I did like it more this time around. I did like it more this time around without that baggage. That's, that's, that's I, my I bumped um, my letterbox take. rating. I Ooh. can see what I rated, and I was like, oh, that's what I gave it, like, yeah. oh, you know, I went up last the whole time side. I watched I it years well. yeah. that's a really well. That's a really good point, Justin, because I was actually trying to figure out why I didn't re- remember it more, why maybe I was a little bit more lukewarm on it than I mm. was this time around. And that I think the context surrounding it and the, even though I haven't seen Ash versus evil dead, I think, yeah, there was just like a lack of expectation and weight going into this one. So yeah, yeah that's uh, you've solved my mystery. <laughs> Thank you. Well, but I will say there is the, there's a couple things against it. We talked about our favorite remakes, Mike, remember when you asked and I said the thing and evasion of body snatchers are my favorite mm. remakes, but the thing that those movies had going for it was that they, they felt totally fresh to me. Um, obviously, the, the ones, you know, the thing in Invasion of the Snatchers, the original ones, black and white, totally different tone. Effects weren't what they were then. Um, different, different locations, essentially. I, I know you can say that the thing is the same location as the other one. It looks like a different world. But with the Evil Dead, I think something that does still hinder it a little bit is the fact that it still takes place at the cabin. So you are kind of making comparisons to characters and events that are happening and camera techniques because there is, it's still in the spirit, the evil spirit, I should say, of the evil dead. Uh, but we can, we, can, we can all talk about that as we go along as to whether or not that really affected uh, our views on the movie or not. And um, like I said, I like this movie a lot more than I did the first time. Does it hold a candle to the first three? We'll get to that in about three hours, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But before we do all that, we got a lot of news. Some of it happy, some of it sad. Sounds like the news to me. 
So already you primitive screeds, listen up. See this? This is my boomstick. It's a 12 gauge double barreled Remington, S Mart's top of the line. You can find this in the sporting goods department. All right, well, the production of of Scream with two exclamation points. If you look at it closely, it looks like a six. We have to figure out how the hell we're going to talk about this movie. I'm already dreading the titles of this. This is this is where we're at now. Where you know we go back, we use the te- the same title that we did before, and you know these producers who know they're going to make a fucking you know sequel. Mm. Think long term, but you know, just think long term. You know, it's like this isn't Halloween and Halloween ends and Halloween kills. And even then, I I can't stand those titles either. Just just use the fucking number system. Like, are we that? We're we're so like rabid for sequels and making you know returning to IP, but we're so terrified of putting the numerical and being transparent about it. It's well, I kind of like, like the the use of the exclamation points. I think that's kind of clever, at least. Yeah, but but then but how do just, we call? What do we call? It? Do we call it Scream Two. I don't call it Scream Two. Because that's what they're basically saying is that it's going to be Scream 2 again. And then also, where's the long term on the exclamation points? You're just going to add a third one? Like, where's the SEO nightmare too, right? I mean, I yeah, it this really up. is. Well, listen. While the production of Scream 2, a.k.a. Scream 6, a.k.a. Scream 2023, is chugging along towards conclusion, Courtney Cox actually just recently announced she wrapped last week with a very uh, fun, a very fun Instagram video. Ah, it was funny. It wasn't it was fun. amazing. It was fun. Yeah. Uh, but I will say the ne- the Nev Campbell salary controversy has continued on. Uh, in an interview she gave with People Magazine in regard to her charity work with the American Red Cross, very nice. She, wow, I'm such a such a great guy. She had the following to say about the salary issue and her future with the franchise. I'm going to read most of this because I think it is pretty pertinent and it does shed some light on what she's discussed before. And there's some interesting quotes in here. I think that everybody, whether or not you're against or for the movie should really take into consideration going forward. Some sane thoughts, in my opinion. Um, so she says that, you know, regarding whether or not she'd ever return. Campbell said, I don't know that I'm gone for good. It would really depend on what they came to me with next. It would have to be different. It would have to be a different attitude. And I'm not sure that's going to happen. If they came to me with a number that felt right, that felt respectful, that felt in keeping with my value that I brought to the franchise, I'd be willing to consider returning in the future. I don't believe it's dead in the water, but we'll see. But honestly, I'm really okay. I've been able to let it go. I wish them well. I'm doing three different shows right now. I'm very, very grateful that I'm working. I'm happy, so all is good. And then asked why she chose to speak out when she did. Campbell said, because the fans, quote, have been so committed and supportive that I felt that I owed them an explanation as to why I wasn't going to be there, because I knew it's not just about me. At the same time, I think it's important that we all stand up for ourselves that we all feel good about the way we're being treated. I didn't want to make it a big political thing. I wish the actors and the directors well. I care for them. I'm sad not to be with them. I hope they had a good experience on this one. I don't want, to be, I don't want there to be bad blood. I'm sure people will still go see it. People love these movies. I'm not the only reason that these films are successful. And no way do I believe that. As I said, I hope for the cast, for the directors, because they have worked really hard and, deep, and deeply care about these movies. I hope they've enjoyed the experience. And that it will be positive for them. So, Rachel, we've all of us at this thing, at this point over the last couple of months have discussed this issue. But where do you stand on the situation as we know? Because we still don't know exactly what the role was, what the money yeah. was. I, I we don't know, right? Yeah. And how do you feel about that? And also, where do you stand about the character of Sydney 
and her standing in the franchise going forward? Or would you be excited to see the character return? Or what's your temperature on the character as well? Yeah, okay. So temperature on the character, I I would like to see her, but like in a removed way. Yeah. yeah. Maybe you know, maybe she's still in California or wherever, and maybe it's or maybe it's a phone call, like cameo style. Like mm. I love the idea of her existing in this universe and still being there in some capacity, but I'm ready to move on from her being actively involved in whatever ghost face situation is happening. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, maybe she's pulling a string with something and helps out in some way from a distance. Great. I am ready. Yeah. I'm ready to move on with this new cast and see what they do. I think it's the smart move for the franchise in general. That said, I'm have mixed feelings on this whole situation. Cause I'm curious. I'm curious what the role was that was offered to her because yeah. I love that she's standing up for what she deserves. Like you do you girl. Like I'm so proud of her. And like, I think that's awesome. And I think it's great that she's speaking out and like get paid what you're worth. Like you deserve that. But uh, yeah, I just want to see that. I want to see what it was. And I'm also, it kind of sucks. Cause it's like, so were they going to, now they're not going to put her in, but they were going to put her in. So I don't know. It's like a whole weird thing. Have they said anything like the, the directors or the production team? Have they said what the. They have. And I think what's really tricky about this. Is that if you start to reveal too much about what she was going to, to do in the movie. Yeah, I guess that's I true. Think you could you, now you're leading yeah, yeah, to spoiler yeah. territory, right? So they have said anything. I wonder if like, the size of the role was an issue. So she wasn't paid that much. And that's so the other she's question. like frustrated that she's getting kind of like pushed to the side because that I disagree with a little bit. Yeah. But if it was like, if she was okay with that, but not the dollar attached to it, like I think that's a valid argument on her point. So, yeah, mixed feelings on that, but I would like to see the franchise progress and move on and develop some <laughs> new blood, no hey, pun intended. And that, see that, that'll be Stream 7 paying homage to Friday 13th Part 7, A New Blood. <laughs> and, be, and the M the M will be like two upside down sevens. Like, <laughs> oh, that could work. Yeah. I mean, so they, 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 they've got a six. Scream. They couldn't do like an upside down six in some way or like, I don't know, there's like some... Six is a fun number to do some stuff with. It's I keep forgetting. They could have called it. They could have called it nine, and then scream upside down, and you flip it at scream six. That would have been really fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did they ever do? Was five five cream was just something? Are we? I don't want to no, take too much set, credit. A joke on set. They. I think they have even T-shirts made out that said five cream. Oh, I thought. That's I had to be honest. I thought we like made that up. I can't. We're not that clever. Can't take credit. Rachel, I think we all kind of more or less agree with you on the situation. I don't want to speak for everybody that's been on the pod, but uh, you know, it, it comes down to. I, I'm personally happy that we're moving on from Sydney. I wish it wasn't under these circumstances. I wish yeah. it was just like yeah. she's not going to be in the movie to begin with. I think the a couple telling things though. I, I do recall after this came out. When they, she said, like, you know, the negotiations didn't work out, they started filming the next week. So it wasn't like they had to do some, we're, we're stopping the production. Huge rewrite. Massive re, you know, so. It we, does we, we tarnish find it out a bit. Until, it, yeah. Like, it's a bummer. Like, it does tarnish it because now if she's not, like, you know, she's not going to be in it, you know, they're going to blame that. But it's like, maybe she wasn't really going to be in it that much anyways. And it just kind of sucks that they couldn't have just settled this behind the scenes. We're and not going to find like, out. Yeah, we're not. I mean, we'll probably out, yeah. right? never know. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It, it's uh, it's been a lot of fun talking about people who are not going to be in this, as opposed to the fact that the movie's 
basically wrapped at this point. But yeah. we'll talk all about this over the next God knows how many months. I can't believe this movie's only seven months away, right? Is it March of next year? Hey, well, I maybe think? we'll get it before oh. Evil Dead Rise, you know, at this like point. Like old school yeah. screen I mean, style. Well, it, it, that's, it really is. It's also a slasher style, really. It's like we're, we're back to every year, which honestly, as somebody that does a horror podcast, <laughs> keep them coming. Yeah. I don't care if they're good or bad. <laughs> Give us a month content, you know. Uh, but Mike, you know, Dan did a great transition earlier. But you, too, have done a great transition because we've got to talk about HBO Max and the situation with Evil Dead Rise. So, you know, by now everybody's heard about the great, great corporate overlord David Zasloff, one of our great men, uh, CEO of Warner Brothers Discovery, canceled Batgirl and Scoob Holiday Hunt. How dare he? <laughs> now, hold, he didn't just cancel the productions. He canceled them from coming out after they were made. Yeah. Which is Stupid. pretty unprecedented, pretty wild. But he did it, you know, tax reasons, quality reasons. Look, we're not a comic book podcast. And at this point in my life... To that, I say thank God. Uh, although, <laughs> I might have spoke too soon. We'll see about next month. But I bring this up because a little movie called Evil Dead Rise is supposed to be coming out on HBO Max. But there are now a lot of questions about that release. Uh, even writer-director Lee Cronin on Twitter, Twitter.com, for all of you on, on, on your desktops, uh, tweeted out, quote, Keep the faith, hashtag Evil Dead Rise, with three emoji blood droplets. What a what a fucking what ridiculous world here? we live in right now. I, I mean, it's just it's just ridiculous. Like the filmmaker like leading on a Twitter. First off, we already have filmmakers going to Twitter trying to pitch their own projects, which is something that we've already frowned about on this podcast. Which I just I don't know. I think it's kind of embarrassing. Could you imagine like John Cassavetes in the seventies being like, "Oh my god," you know, like I'm going to go throw go, go to walk around like L.A. and throwing up like things on billboards, being He's like, got, "I'd love to adapt this Fitzgerald, please." <laughs> I got Robert, the day Robert of the Evans, let me make husbands. You know, come <laughs> on, please. But yeah, so I, I already hate that. But then now we're here in this point where, you know, you have filmmakers that have made the movie. You've been told that this movie is going to be coming out in a certain way. And then now they're having to be like, faith that it's going to come out or hit theater. Like, this is like, what if it's just a perverse era we live in? Like, especially it, in pop so, culture. And it's filmmaking. hard enough to get movies made. Yeah. And now it's hard enough to get them to come out after yeah. they've been made. It's like, what is but going on? But are we just hearing about it more? Because I feel like shelving movies has always been a thing. It's just like they're jumping the gun and like promoting them before I, they're I was going to say, I think out. it's the, I think well, it's the, I think it's the, it's the, because I remember, what was that? It was that David O. Russell movie that got shelved mm-hmm. a couple years ago. But I think that's different though. I think it was when the filmmakers, you know, quit projects or abandon projects or put their, the Alan Smithy seal of death on there. It's different. But this is something I, that was a giant, like ninety million dollar movie. Yeah, yeah. As opposed yeah. to being shelved as in, eh, it'll it'll eventually come out in a couple. But we years. still, the Flash might still come out. Like that. Yeah. Oh, the Flash! Yeah. I'm telling you, the Flash is coming out. That's the oh, world well, we they, live they, in. They, it's coming out. They like, apologize now, so we're it's, good, right? there's yeah, a reason for that whole apology oh, oh, okay. situation, and I think a lot of it does speak to the quality. Because I mean, there's a lot of insider podcasts out there that have all speculated about the whole Batgirl situation and the whole Warner Brothers situation, and that ultimately. The consensus for a lot of folks were that, you know, Batgirl didn't exactly feel like the theatrical production it was supposed to be that was out there. Whereas like The Flash, like a lot of the buzz and the screenings have been really high on it, you know, despite the fact that there's, a, you know, a certain publicity nightmare attached to this fucking movie. And their name is Ezra Miller. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. Uh, but the the thing also with, with Evil Dead, though, is that the similar to The Flash, 
at least what I've been seeing and hearing is that the buzz has actually been pretty great. And that mm-hmm. may be the, one of the reasons why this is in development hell, or not development hell, but in a quick purgatory, is that they are thinking like, well, maybe it should be released in theaters. Now, you know, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know the whole legal mumbo jumbo of getting into the theaters. And I know you probably have to reserve dates and all, but I have to imagine, especially in this age where, I don't know, we had what four movies come out this summer uh, in theaters. <laughs> One of them being, you know, the, the great Jurassic world dominion. I would say you could probably make it happen. And like, I think that you'd be pretty fucking stupid to not try to release it in, in the fall right now. I mean, the, as someone who has to pitch, uh, you know, studios all the time on on advertising. Like, I will say that October is not as busy as as a lot of people might think it is. I mean, right now we have Halloween ends. And that's pretty much it. Like, I mean, there's not really that many big titles that are coming out at that point. And so, I think that you could potentially. I mean, there's there's a few other ones out there, but in terms of something that has attached IP to it, which already gets ahead of the races, like. I just think you'd be stupid not to release Evil Dead this year. And if they maybe they're waiting for, you know, the the highly lucrative month of 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 April, which which Warner Brothers has already reserved for Salem's lot. Um but I, I don't know, it's just perplexing. And as someone it's weird because I'm of two minds of this. One, I kind of love it because we don't know when this is gonna come out and we don't know anything about it. So I that's great as a consumer. I've been wanting this for a long time because I'm so tired of seeing like the log lines and then seeing when it's being developed, seeing when it's in pre-production, seeing when it's Mm -hmm. not in pre-production, seeing when it's being edited, seeing the editing of the trailer, seeing the clip of the trailer and then seeing the trailer. I mean, it's just like, we see so much of it that by the time it comes out, you're like, all right, I'm, I, I don't even, I'm not even shocked when you get the trailer for the trailer too. Yeah. So the teaser, I can't stand it. But so if we're getting away from that as a consumer, I love it. As a producer of podcasts, I fucking can't stand it. Because <laughs> like, it's been, you know, it's been really hard to figure out what we're going to be doing. It's true, because we think about for the last four seasons, we had it all planned out the year before, mm-hmm. the end. Here's how we're doing it. And it was we rolled with it. And this year, as it just we, we just kept thinking, oh, this will definitely be out by the fall. Definitely be out by the fall. And now, you know, we're what, a month away from the fall? So <laughs> In the fall of our minds at this point, but we've look everybody out there. Don't worry, we've got we've got contingency plans that I am ninety nine point nine 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 percent will be happening for yeah. next month. But uh, it'll be a, it'll be a, a, a can't miss episode. I will say that uh, at, at the very least. All right, at this point though, <laughs> what? wow, that's amazing. <laughs> a, a great pull there. Yeah, yeah. is uh, <laughs> is this movie going to come out? In 2023, Rachel, what do you think based on what I, you've heard? I think so, and I think I think just like Mike was saying, like they'd be stupid not to, especially like right now, like horror is having such a good. I mean, it's I mean, it's always popular, but like right now, you think you've got like the Black Phone killing it, you've got Nope, which was killing it, like Prey got a really good response. Yep. So it's like it's a good time. I think if they're smart to kind of capitalize on that, and hopefully, yeah, maybe they'll kind of. Yeah, do at least some theaters, like, you know, even if not like nationwide, which as somebody who lives in a smaller market, like I would love for it to be nationwide, but yeah. I hope that they do some theaters. I, I do think it will come out next year. I think, you know, Wait, they, next they, year, you think it'll be next year or this year? 2023. It'll be next year. You think next year? I don't think oh. it'll be this year. I don't think oh, it'll Rachel, be this year. Are you saying you, you think it's going to be 2022? Be I think it'll be this year. Oh, but... I don't think so. No? I, at this point, I've, I've Just lost. Just because that because you haven't heard much. Either. Yeah, I, I, 
even when the director is like, I'm not sure if this is even going to come out now <laughs> with that weird tweet. I don't mm. feel like it's going to be coming out in the next few months. Do you but think, although, do you think that to be tweet fair, was... though, this David Zaslav character, he'll never be on the pod, so fuck him. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> well, definitely not now. <laughs> he, might, he might own the pod. We don't even know about it. <laughs> from a, from a cold-hearted business standpoint, when I was listening to the, re- the quote-unquote reasoning as to why Batgirl was canceled altogether... For the tax reasons listed, the amount of money it cost, this weird thing about it was supposed to just be an HBO Max exclusive. It was never going to be in theaters, but he said it it felt a little too big for TV, but not big enough for theaters. And there's this weird kind of way station land. I get where he's coming from with that. So, but the tax for Evil Dead cannot be nearly that much. So that can't be a reason. So I, I don't see why. They can't just throw this on HBO Max like they were going to do anyway. But then yeah. again, I'm not a billionaire, millionaire CEO of Warner Brothers Discovery for a reason. So, well, and also there's part of the issue with HBO Max right now. I mean, even with the pulling of 200 episodes of Sesame Street the other day, is they don't they're cutting back on having to give actors residuals because the more they play that stuff, the more. And now I don't know. I don't think Evil Dead, the new one, especially would make or break the bank in that regard. But I just think everything's up in the air right now. I, not, not even just HBO Max, man. Fucking streaming in general. I think where that bubble is starting to burst. I don't mean like that it's going away, but that I think there's going to be a, some other kind of title shift in the next year, the way there was when COVID started and I mean, then before it, that when all the, it's gonna the conglomerates TV, started buying them. If it hasn't already. It's just going to yeah. become like you're having TV again. You're going to be paying just as much. But I was going to ask, do you, think, stuff. do you think the director's tweets were almost like a – Hail Mary bit of desperation to the producers. Like, hey, come on, guys, right? Like, have, have faith. Like, like he was hoping they'd see it or something. I think it was just a way of him saying, I don't know either. Don't ask me about it. I don't think that we're in a Batgirl situation where it's going to get scrapped forever. Nah, I think it's nah. definitely yeah. coming out because, I mean, based on, you know, we've had some insiders that were at some of the screenings. Yep. So we know a little bit about the film. Obviously, we're not going to spill it here. Uh, but... You know the the word of mouth has been and the buzz has been pretty strong, and bu- so not just the buzz of the saw, and not just the buzz of the saw, which uh, you know, not to spoil anything, we're hearing some there's there's some saws in this movie. There's some uh, saws, all right. So I honestly, I did not know that. So I mean, um, I, I mean, there's you know, there's blood. So uh, Ooh, basically, <laughs> there's blood and there's yeah, deadites. Being as vague uh, as possible. Uh, guess what? There are deadites in it. We, no, we should um, just write oh an article, be like, like, be like. Uh, fanboys and fangirls rejoice like that we we know that for anyone who loves deadites they will be in this movie ash Blood is back book confirmed oh, our, no. our insider confirmed. information is as stunning as the the janitor in billy madison it's like you know uh, mrs libby's car is green uh, i was thinking about the janitor Bradley and, Whitford, um, like uh, happy gilmore endless love the guy who sings endless love at the end yeah yeah we've really gone off the rails here everybody <laughs> I think so Delta in the garage in the parking garage I of the building so. Yeah. It's, it, you gotta get the Delta in there somehow. Just yeah. as a, you gotta do it. They did in this movie. You guys, you know it's been nicer lately, and in Wisconsin, you never quite know when winter is going to be in, but it's been nice for like four days in a row, and I'm like, if sunnier days are coming, it's time to fuel up, and so I'm going back to my factor meals that no prep, no mess. I want to hit my weight goals before it's time to hit that beach. You've got options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, Keto, 
Factor has these fresh, never frozen meals, dietitian approved guys. And here's the big thing for me, keeping out of the kitchen as much as possible, two minutes and these meals are ready. So it doesn't matter how busy you are, you've always got time. So treat yourself. They have 35 different meals to pick from, 60 add-ons to choose every week. You're always gonna have new stuff to try. Have it whenever you want, it's effortless guys. So if you'd like to try it yourself, head to factormeals.com slash badmovies50 and use code badmovies50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code badmovies50 at factormeals.com slash badmovies50 to get 50% off of your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Uh, speaking of the Delta, though, in this movie, it was outside of a cabin. And inside this cabin <laughs> is a study. And whose study is it? Professor Noby's study. The book served as a passageway to the evil worlds beyond. It was written long ago, when the seas ran red with blood. It was this blood that was used to ink the book. I kind of fucked that up because in this 2013 version, there's no mention of a Professor Nobi as far as I can remember. Ah, is there is a recording the at the end in the credits. credits. Well, there is. Yeah. In the closing credits, they do use the original recording, for some reason, of Professor Nobi's <laughs> tape from the original film. Keep an ear out for that if, you're, if you haven't rewatched it recently. Fun, fun bit of information. I can actually scrap that from our information later on. Very good. We're, we're knocking things out here at the Halloweenies. <laughs> Well, let's give a little history about this 2013 version. You know, after 30 years of being at the forefront of all things Evil Dead, Sam Raimi was ready to hand off the reins. He had he had a good uh, fucking Oz, I guess. <laughs> yeah. To the, the movie that we've all been clamoring for. Yeah. Oz the Great and Powerful. And thank God people aren't trying to remake The Wizard of Oz these days. That would be really fucking stupid. They, wait, aren't they? I know they are. Oh, they yeah. are. Oh, I'm, okay. just being asshole. I'm just being a little asshole. I'm really excited, too. An um, Oz Finally. Is that what you said? Yeah, a little <laughs> We discussed in our Army of Darkness episode a number of story ideas for potential Evil Dead 4s that never came to pass on the silver screen. Although, as we mentioned, some concepts did seep their way into the Stars Ash vs. Evil Dead TV series. But for this new remake, reboot, reimagining, whatever you want to call it, the new leader would not be found in Michigan, would not be found in the United States of America. This person would not even be found in North America. We'd have to go down to South America, more specifically in Uruguay. Betty Alvarez was a huge fan of the Evil Dead, even if it took him years to remember that. In an interview with Complex back around the time of his remake, I'm sorry, remake entry into the Evil Dead series. Let's call it the entry, okay? The entry. Uh, Alvarez recalls going to the video store at the age of 12, much like many of us probably, and, quote, trying to find the scariest movie ever. He goes on to say, quote, The guy who worked there gave me The Evil Dead. I watched it as soon as I got home, and it really did terrify me more than anything I'd seen before then. The author of the article said that the experience was so visceral that Alvarez unconsciously blocked it from his memory moving forward. Mm-hmm. And then Alvarez said, I'm part of a generation who fell in love with Sam Raimi's movies when Darkman came out. Darkman came out, and then Army of Darkness. So I started reading up on Sam's earlier movies, and that's when I realized I'd seen The Evil Dead back when I was 12, and I got scared all over again. You know, it's funny, I don't think we've ever really discussed the first time we discovered Sam Raimi, but for me, it was Darkman, actually. I was probably around Alvarez's age. 
I and that was my introduction have, to yeah. Sam Raimi. What about Rachel? What about you? What was your introduction? Mine was to Army Sam of Raimi? Darkness, Army and that was Darkness. the first Evil Dead film I saw. Ah, it was Army of Darkness, and then I had to dig backwards. And then you <laughs> then you did Dead by Dawn, and then you did the original. Yeah, and then <laughs> well, and then I got I got this sweet. One of the, Oh it's yes, the I, Anchor I, Bay I, books. <laughs> does it still smell as good as I remember those? That oh, it's that, like falling apart. Like <laughs> same all the same as mine is too. Like, it looks I'm like terrified to even take it off the shelf. I know. Oh, yeah. Okay, you special edition that came out back in the day with yeah. like the rubber. Like, uh, uh, Rob, don't, don't do it, Rothman. It's gonna, oh, yeah. gonna summon the deadites. I remember it had such a distinct <laughs> smell. God, to that's it. fucking disgusting, dude. It's uh. gross. <laughs> Dan, what about you? What was the first time? What was the first Sam Raimi movie I, you remember seeing? I think seen? I think I talked about this on our Darkman commentary. I can't remember. It would have been Darkman or Army of uh, Darkness. I'm pretty sure huh. it was Darkman. Um, and then yeah, because when I saw Army of Darkness, I didn't even know it was part of a trilogy or anything at first. I just thought it was like a standalone fun. Zombie medieval movie. Um, yeah, so is Darkman for me. Mike, what about you? Was it Crime Wave? Uh, actually, you know, it was uh, the Cullen brothers and uh, looking <laughs> through their credits. Uh, no, uh, honestly, it, it was Evil Dead. I, 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 you know, I had known about Darkman. I remember seeing the posters, but it wasn't like I looked out and go, you know, it was like, it wasn't this, a cinephile enough to be like, well, who's the director of this uh, superhero ca- uh, caper? Uh, I, you know, I, it was, you know, I, I eventually stumbled upon all the horror movies I love because of Halloween. And, uh, you know, once I got to Evil Dead, I was like, oh, my God, I have to, you know, pursue more of this Uh, just because of, you know, how groundbreaking it felt, just how DIY it felt. I think it was one of the first instances, you know, in addition to Halloween, where I was like, I want to know about the filmmaker and Mm. largely that that sort of band mindset that we get into, you know, especially when we were teens. We're like, oh, I want to get all the albums, or I need to go and look at like who influenced these bands and and what have you. And and that was like, I mean, Evil Dead was really a big gateway into that for me. I mean, Halloween's the biggest one. I mean, obviously that's why we started this podcast. But Evil Dead was it, it's almost like um, I think I described it as like I the think most Halloween terrifying was like, film you ever experienced. <laughs> I did describe it as that, but I, I think earlier in another episode, I think maybe the Evil Dead episode, I think I described Halloween as like being like Nirvana's Nevermind. And then this being like the Pixies in a way for me, where it was just kind of like, uh, I'm even getting deeper into the horror lexicon. I didn't, maybe I didn't make that comp, but I did for something else. But that's kind of how I look at it now, or it's like, you know, yeah, John Carpenter opened the door for me for a lot of horror to, to kind of go back and appreciate the names. And then once I got to Evil Dead, it was like uh, learning about, you know, Raimi. I started getting really deep into the techniques and just mm. how you would make it. Well, Mike, and, when you rented Evil Dead for the first time, what home media? Did you rent it on? I can't remember. I, I do remember. What, was the, you what know, was the type of, how did you watch it? What did you watch it on? Oh, it was VHS. Well, Mike, sure. I'll tell you what. VHS home movies and local commercials by Fede Alvarez. <laughs> <How about that? laughs> nice, nice, nice <laughs> Thank transition. Thank you very much. I was like, how the hell are we um, going to get out of this? Led to Alvarez's panic attack. No, not the kind of panic attack that truly debilitates you. I'm talking about panic attack with an exclamation point. And it's the name of Alvarez's 2009 sci-fi short film that, by the way, you can still see for free on his YouTube page. Check mm. it out. Let's all just watch it right now. And we, yeah. we'll, just, we'll hear like bad audio for 10 minutes of just going, oh, that's pretty cool. Um, but fun fact, if you do watch it on there, you'll be doing the very same thing that Sam Raimi did back in 2009. Alvarez told Showbiz Cafe in 2013, stop right here. Who's been to the Showbiz Cafe? Dan, have you been to the Showbiz Cafe? I've been to Showbiz Pizza, uh, which mm. was the predecessor to Chuck E. Cheese, but I've not been to Showbiz Cafe. <laughs> Rachel, 
Rachel, I know you're a big fan of the Showbiz Cafe. What do you like to get at the Showbiz Cafe? Oh, God. You know, the, the five-star fries and yeah. uh, <laughs> those are really great, just sprinkled with, you know, truffle oil and duck fat. Ah, the duck fat <laughs> fries at the Showbiz Cafe. I mean, I could go on for years about it. Mike, you, you introduced me to the Showbiz Cafe, and you would tell me how you were so impressed that they had a little accent mark in cafe they, they were that classy you know it's uh it's it's very rare to find an authentic cob salad mm. that you would get at uh, the michaels in la but i loved about the showbiz cafe the cob salad was the lee j cob salad in honor of show business <laughs> legend lee j cob mm-hmm. this place had a touch that planet hollywood couldn't hope to 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 grasp on even though they were technically a planet but anyway yeah showbiz cafe a great place but anyway also um, I guess while eating one of those Lee J. Cobb salads at the Showbiz Cafe in 2013, Sam Raimi told somebody <laughs> who was sitting there eating with him, I guess. <laughs> at the bar, that, at the counter. At the <laughs> bar, eating those duck fat fries and the Lee J. Cobb salad. He said, <laughs> out of nowhere, <laughs> the right person to bring back Evil Dead to the new generation <laughs> is Fatty Alvarez. <laughs> I think it was in part crunch on his salad. Because he didn't want a Hollywood director making this movie. I think, I think that, no, I'll joke aside, I think Rami wanted somebody who <laughs> loves, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Let's go back in time. I'm sorry. I really went off the, tra- the trails here. Alvarez was the one that was actually eating this Cobb salad at the Showbiz Cafe and talked oh. about why how he thought Rami maybe wanted him to do this movie. And he said he believed that Rami thought that, he, that Alvarez was the right person to bring back <laughs> Evil Dead to the new generation. I think it was in part, quote, because he didn't want a Hollywood director making this movie. He wanted a guy that loves to shoot, has a passion for filmmaking, and he wanted someone that could write and direct. He didn't want to go for the classic studio process. I think at the end of the day, that was his master plan. He wanted an audience member. He wanted a fan to make an even better movie. And that's why I think the movie ended up being quite special and different. And then he paid his bill <laughs> and, he was, and went home and started prepping like, for Do Don't I know Breathe. You, sir? <laughs> <laughs> uh, something, something I found to be quite fascinating, and this took five years apparently to really settle this, but in 2018, Fan tweeted to Alvarez the following I need to settle an argument in the group chat. Is Evil Dead a remake or is it set within the continuity? of the original films. So before we go there, before we give you the answer that Alvarez definitively t- retweeted, by the way, oh. Mike, no matter what information you know now, is this movie a remake, a sequel? What is it? If you had to choose, is it a remake I think or a sequel? I think a sequel. I think there's just okay. too much connective tissue that's at hand. Yeah. Okay. Dan? Remake or sequel? What is this? Uh, man, I want to say sequel, but the only thing is, I mean, all right, if, yeah, you, they find the gun, the book, obviously. But wouldn't the house be completely? Well, all right, are we seeing a sequel to Evil Dead or Evil Dead Two, which That's, don't really well, match up timeline? That's those the, movies, the continuities are nightmares anyway, so you can look at however you want to. Yeah, I guess sequel, but I don't know. I feel like the house would not be as intact, although it could have reformed in a way, I, I suppose, right? Given some black magic, but hey, you know that that book is unpredictable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll go. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'll go ahead and say sequel. Uh, so, look, if we've already established that sequel in the Evil Dead universe is kind of a loose term anyway, I think it's okay to say sequel. Rachel, 
What about you? Ooh, you know, gonna go off of uh, one of your other movies here and call it a requel. Oh, Uh, just like scream a bit. You know, I think it's funny because it's like it's happening in the same universe as Evil Dead. Mm -hmm. Dare I even say it's happening in uh, an Evil Dead multiverse? Oh, you know, I like that. I like that. Yeah. So I there's the sequel elements. There's some remake elements. Yeah, so I'm going to go with Requel. Well, I don't have to answer the question. I just posed it. Oh, all right, fine. So <laughs> oh, that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, here, here's here's what Alvarez retweeted, and I like this. I like that he he went on to kind of explain his his viewpoint too. He didn't just say, you know, it's a sequel, and then that was it. You know, he says it continues the first one. Mm. The coincidences of events between the first film and mine are not coincidences, but more like a dark fate created by the evil book. I like that. I do too. I actually yeah. do like that. I like yeah. the explanation. I, I think it's cool. It's like it's like you're you're doomed by it. You know, if you go there, you're gonna more or less deal with the same things. I kind of like the explanation. Well, that's and that's something that we were I was discussing with Samuel when we were visiting it uh, this past week. You know, because you watch this and you're like, man, why would you open this? It's like the 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 fucking cellar is disgusting. The, the book is wrapped literally in barbed Bar wire. wire. It, yeah. it, it couldn't be more. You're already there for really, um, you know, disturbing purposes anyway. So why are you adding this element to it? And she argued that, you know, it's like, I, I just think the book calls to you and it just makes you mm-hmm. do these things. And I think that's the best way to look at this movie, because if you don't, then you just say every character is a fucking idiot <laughs> because yeah, it just they have to be sort of drawn into this because there's just absolutely no way that you would consciously say, you know, I got I got to unwrap this garbage wrapped like, you know, garbage, you know, <laughs> bag wrapped thing with barbed wire, open it up and then read from it. Like, you know, they make, they, they take so many like lengths to bring this evil back that it, it could only be described as a dark force. That's, I, I guess, so, though, and maybe about myself, but Rachel, let me, let me pose this question to you first. Look, if you saw a, a weird looking book with barbed wire wrapped around it in a garbage bag, wouldn't you be tempted to open it up and no. read it? No way. Oh, 100%. Right. Yes, At least, I would too. Uh, here's what I would have done. I, mean, I would have left the barbed wire and like torn open the bag a little bit, you know? And mm. then like as soon as I saw that it's like skin would definitely have been, been like hard. Nope. And you would have been <laughs> but, like, you know, this looks like my DVD anniversary of Evil Dead. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like the great but, cover. but if it was just like a copy of like The Sun Also Rises or something. It's just like, <laughs> yeah, oh, right. Well, all right. Like, that's like, wow, they're really first edition. Nice. Uh, yeah. really uh, banning uh, anyway. To really bring it back. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I, I think, you know, you see that you go, no, kind of like Marion Chambers, uh, and, uh, the first appearance that she comes back in. in well, Mike, you have to specify. Well, yeah, now, Mary well, her Chambers, first appearance. the character of Marion Chambers in the Halloween franchise, she's in Halloween. Yes. 1978. Mm-hmm. She's in Halloween 1981. Mm-hmm. And then she's in 1998's H2O. Oh, okay. I take it back. No, her but, second but Here's, here's the confusing thing though. Yeah. But she's also in Halloween kills mm-hmm. which then negates her appearances in halloween 2 and halloween h2o mm. so what appearance are you referring to and does that appearance still exist and it doesn't exist continuity? anymore okay um, it does not it, exist anymore i believe it's in the fourth or fifth ending of this okay. franchise but uh when she walks in mm. and she sees the door open and she goes uh no um and then walks out that <laughs> okay. would be me with the, the necronomicon <laughs> book and then maybe go upstairs and see if they had a hot tub or something 
A hot tub? Yeah, it's a cabin. You gotta have a hot tub. <laughs> Upstairs? Wait a minute. Yeah. yeah like, no, you know, you know, you have, to be fair, uh, they have not investigated I... the attic of the Evil Dead cabin yet. That's going to be our next uh, remake reboot. Yeah, we, uh, we stayed at a uh, at a cabin in Georgia that had um, a hot tub on the upper deck. It was great. You know, they, always, they always have those like, don't look in the basement movies. What about don't look in the attic? Am I right? Yeah. Rachel, mm-hmm. did you want oh, to add something to that? Yeah, so in the special features on the new Evil Dead Blu-ray, Bruce mm. Campbell... He says something that I think is interesting, and I'm curious to see if it shows up in the new one. He says the book gets around. So yeah. he like he considers that, you know, all of these things are more attached to the book and not the place or the cabin. So if the book is around, it that's what kind of, a, you know, that's where yeah, the deadites it, come into play. So I'm curious to see. And this was back when, the, you know, 2013. So I'm yeah. curious if that's what's going to happen in the new one is somehow the book gets into that situation. Well, think about it. This movie ends with the book flipping clothes. So mm-hmm. that's kind of like a nice button on that to indicate that the book is still out there and this could come back. So that checks out to me. I think that's, yeah. that's a good point that Campbell makes too. Um, I guess the bigger question I have right now that we yeah. can't answer even with our insider information is like, is this new one going to be part of like this universe also? Or is it going to be an actual just total standalone? Because I think... When we look at the timeline of where things are in 2013, it's really squeaky clean because Ash vs. Evil Dead hadn't come out yet, which at that point, as you, you know, outlined in the episodes, or in the episode, that they really do smooth a lot of the wrinkles of the continuity that happened, you know, mostly out of rights issues and also just out of um, time timing that we've discussed in the past, you know, eight episodes we've done this year. Um, but I think with Evil Dead Rise, it's a little complicated, you know, because you have Ash versus Evil Dead. You have this. Is it easier for them at this point to just say, "All right, this is its own thing"? I, I guess we're going to find out when it's once it finally comes out. But I, I wouldn't have any. Look, I'm I'm a I'm a open book, a Necronomicon, as it were. Uh, and when it comes to this new entry, I, I I they can they can go crazy for all I care. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if the kids are going down to like the laundry room in the apartment complex. And there's like a loose brick in the wall and they pulled out and the book's in there. Like, I wouldn't be surprised. And that'd be mm-hmm. fine. I feel like the book will, will still figure into this movie. I, I think that that will be something that will make its way there. Now, I don't know if it's going to say, you know, from Ash Campbell to so-and-so at the so-and-so apartment complex. But I think that it will make an appearance. And that will be the, the tenuous tie to the earlier movies. And I'm sure they'll say, swallow, my, swallow your soul or something like that as a little nod. The Evil Dead Two: Dead by Dawn. <laughs> do you do you think like when they're doing laundry, mm. th- that they're gonna kind of pull out some some you know bell bottoms or something like that, like and then somebody home. else that's doing laundry next to them will go and uh, look up, you know maybe trying to like flirt with this character because it's supposed to be two sisters and like oh, cool. looks over and it's like uh, groovy, <laughs> you know <laughs> like or the bell bottoms or whatever, you know that'd be a kind of a fun cheeky reference. Like maybe it's Bruce Campbell doing it too, you know like. Well, I think it'd be funny, Rachel. Tell me if I'm off on this. If you've got like the the, the kids in the movie. They're running mm-hmm. around playing tag, and what they have to say, you know, to know to let the people know they're going to go after them is, "We're going to get you. We're going to get you." Mm. Not another people. Oh yeah, to sleep. that'd be yeah. a lot of fun. Or the kids are like, "There's other kids over there," and they're like, "Join us, join us." <laughs> <laughs> Folks, these these are free ideas for David Zasloff if he wants to continue the Evil Dead franchise on HBO Max Discovery, whatever the fuck you want to call it. We we're give so many ideas it. on this podcast. I think we were just bemoaning that on the, the remakes episode, how like, you know, 
if you're a producer in Hollywood, you should be listening to the Halloweenies. I'm, so, I'm just telling you. Like, I we agree. Got some listen ideas. to us. We got Don't listen to ideas. Warner Brothers Discovery CEO David Zasloff. Listen to us. We know how to make money in our own minds. Listen yeah. to us. Yeah. Make it make it a thing. Yeah. But you mentioned we mentioned the, the fact that you do hear good old Professor Nobi's voice in the closing credits. The Delta, as we mentioned, is prominently featured in the movie in which Mia is sitting on it, having a heart to heart with her brother. But something I, I maybe I picked up on it when we saw it in theaters, but didn't really register until this go round, is that they use, um, Cheryl's yeah audio mm-hmm. from Evil Dead. When Mia gives the whole one by one, we will take you. That's Ellen Samwise's voice from the original film. There's a lot of audio cues that are that are all laced within this movie. Mm-hmm. One of the more noticeable instances is obviously when um, when Mia is first possessed. I think that's when they they bring the the Cheryl character yep. the, the, the Cheryl line. Correct. But even when they they arrive at the cabin, you could hear like a low demonic voice that says "Join us," and that's like literally the the audio from the original movie. Which that's where I'm like. You know, yeah, it does kind of feel like a sequel then in that yeah. respect. You and know? it's not obnoxious like, you know, that weird close-up on the blue milk in Rogue One. Something no, that always, God, you always bring that up. <laughs> I, I will never stop Literally. talking about how annoying that was. <laughs> it's blue milk. It, do you remember when Aunt Beru had blue milk I, in New Hope? Well, in the Did new, new Obi-Wan, they, they, they bring back, they bring back uh, Hayden Christensen. And um, that's like a cool uh. little Easter egg that you get in there also. <laughs> Easter egg. <laughs> well, here, a question for y'all, because I, I, I was debating how much... I was just projecting this onto the movie and how much it is there. I did think, even though I, like I say, I liked this film a lot more this time around, the demon voices in general from the basement, it, it almost was a little too exorcisty for me. Like mm-hmm. just saying the mm-hmm. stuff about like, Oh, your mother's a cunt or whatever else. I just, I don't know. It, it was interesting. I felt like, because I don't want to say the deadites were talking more in this one, but I was wondering if it was like a little too indebted to the exorcist as opposed to the first evil dead. I don't know. That might, that maybe I, is I like got that. I thought nits, about that I this curious. time. Yeah. I wasn't as unnerved. I mean, there were some crass crude things that were being said, but I wasn't as unnerved as I was at the voices that were used in the original evil dead. But once again, look, I was an impressionable, what 12 year old. That's what I'm saying. It's yeah. all about where were, where were we when we saw these movies? If somebody now is, is 30 or 40 watching 1981s, of course we never really determined when evil dead came out. <laughs> what was no, it? We can't, we can never do that. <laughs> we can never do it. Um, I don't know if they're gonna have the same impression that we have, but yeah. to I, me, I, I the would... voices were always creepier in the original. So I was thinking about this and I, and I think that cause I watch Pluto TV a lot. We just did a bit on Instagram at mm-hmm. two or three in the morning. No um, free ads, but yeah, we did you know, do Pluto TV. We're, 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 we're all about free ideas and free ads here on Halloweenies. I usually love watching anything on Pluto TV. I love a background watch. This movie's not particularly a great background watch because it's pretty fucking dour mm-hmm. and it's it's kind of a miserable movie and I love it for that. But the thing I was getting, I was kind of debating while rewatching it, especially with Sammy, was that like, you know, Sammy's like, well, the first one's fun to watch. You can watch it whenever. But I'm like, well, go back to 1980 and 1981 or whatever. Or 82 or whenever it came out. <laughs> but I think about King, Stephen King's original review for this and how it really was just this sort of groundbreaking exercise in terror. And I think that the same feelings I have of just like, Ugh, I, I got to stay away from this or like, I, this isn't, this is uncomfortable to watch are how a lot of the audiences would have probably thought of the, of the first one when it came out. And I think mm-hmm. in that respect, Betty Alvarez, who, you know, they were clearly trying to capture, uh, 
you know, the, the, the tone and the feel of that first one with this movie. And I think that even using the quote and the, the promotional materials is kind of like harkens back to King's own quote about the original Evil Dead. And I think that in that sense, there is a, a, a nice spiritual bridge between the two in that they are these exercises in just unrecognizable terror. And, you know, when we look back at the, the original one now, and obviously it's like a fun... Uh, midnight masterpiece. Some might call it campy. I don't. I think it's actually still fucking terrifying and and really unnerving. But you're talking about the first Evil Dead. Yeah, but you, I, you I know, agree. but tonally, I, obviously, it does not. It feels tonally different than the rest of the series does. Yeah, so. and, and and but then you could still say like it's a little bit punchier than this. But I do think that they both both of these movies set out to do exactly what Vanderbilt always says. They they had an assignment and they matched it, and they you know they did you know they they understood the assignment that they had, and I I would say that they both go for the jugular. And I think that's yes. really important to kind of mm -hmm. distinguish between the two of them here is that, yeah, it does feel darker, but I do think the original one would have been, would have had that same feeling back then. Yeah, I think it's easier now to, to look at these movies as just totally individual pieces of work yeah. as opposed to feeling compelled to constantly compare it maybe when it came out nine years ago. I think well, it's easier I'll to watch it on its own. I'll say too, it's interesting because, uh, and I know we're getting the characters in a bit, but... Watching this, when you talked about, oh, maybe the original pops a little bit more, has more electricity to it, I do think that's true. But when I started watching this one, I, I was like, oh, these characters maybe just aren't grabbing me the way the original did. But then when I thought about the original characters, I'm like, other than Bruce Campbell, who just kind of has that star quality from the get-go that you're drawn to, and even then, Ash is not the Ash he would become in that first movie, I was thinking, I'm like, it's not like the first Evil Dead has these incredible characters you're suddenly mm. drawn to. So I, I kept trying to wrap my head around like, well, what is it about that first one that maybe does suck you in just a little bit more immediately? And honestly, I think it's the context and the legacy because by the time I watched the first one, I knew all this stuff about it. I knew what it meant in the horror world. I had already seen Army of Darkness. And so like you said, it's I really do think the time period and the circumstances, not just in which these movies come out, but in which any movie comes out, it's hard to divorce it from that until way further down the line because I, I like that this movie does feel even a little bit more grislier and sober than the first one and that it's not trying to, it doesn't feel like it's trying to recreate it. Like the Easter eggs in this movie actually feel like true Easter eggs and true subversions of what's come before it. So yeah, I, I don't know the the comparison game between the original evil dead and this one feels so much different to me than the comparison between other remakes and the originals of its ilk. Like um, I, th I think that's what I meant before when I said it was this anomaly. I think there's a lot of reclamation projects that have been going on in the last couple of years. And some make sense and some, you know, don't. But again, that's always personal. When it comes to these movies that got dismissed earlier and we're kind of reevaluating, well, why didn't people like these back then? And why do they work now? And I think that this movie, to be fair, this movie did well at the box office. I, it, I think it's yeah. always had its fans. This is not like we're going back to reevaluate Hudson Hawk. No shots fired <laughs> to Hudson Hawk, by the way. And, uh, but, you know. I just think it's natural. That's why we do this podcast, honestly, is most of the time we are looking back, way back when, and seeing how this movie did and, and how it resonates now. And, and even though this movie's only nine years old, this is no exception. Right, Mike? I, so, yeah. And, and I think that's important. You, you mentioned Cabin in the Woods. And, mm. and obviously that, that does a, a great job um, in trying to you know, 
deconstruct these type of movies, the cabin movies, you know, the the within the woods movies. But it did arrive at a weird time. I mean, like when you think about the type of movies that were having that were coming out, it's almost like what we were discussing with Drag Me to Hell. Whereas with Drag Me to Hell, it arrived right before the sort of found footage paranormal activity thing started kicking mm-hmm. off with Blumhouse. Right. This arrived right at the end of that. And where Blumhouse was going to start pivoting away from paranormal activity to stuff like The Purge and um, eventually into a lot of the legacy stuff that it would get into, which obviously the conceit of this podcast. But it, it's also a weird uh, transitionary time because you look at, you know, what was going on with just IP. There wasn't a lot of it. I mean, this year had, I think it was like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3D. Saw that in theaters with the two of you. We're already three years removed from Thanks, the, the Nightmare on Elm Street reboot. Friday the 13th happened four years before that. Halloween's pretty much dead in the water at this point because they did Halloween 2 and that's done. So, it really was exciting when I saw Evil Dead pop up again because it was like, oh, some familiar IP and horror. Interesting. We don't really have that right now, you know? Because mm. imagine mean, honestly, how naive we were at the time. Like, I know. Oh, we didn't even know what was we happening. Like, what does IP stand for? <laughs> well, it's we all know. there. I mean, looking in hindsight, it's all there because you mentioned, you know, in 2012, Cabin in the Woods obviously did that, but there were, what was also a big 2012 movie that actually opened, I think, the same weekend as Cabin in the Woods. Oh. A little, a little indie thriller uh, known as the Avengers, oh, which gosh. changed yeah. Hollywood forever because it was yeah. like, oh, look at this, this Marvel example worked, and we're able right. to do it. And so then it just kind of opened the door for all of, for everyone trying to, you know, to really lean on IP like crazy. So it's almost like, like kind of like with Drag Me to Hell, it did kind of drop in this weird sort of crossroads moment, and I, and I don't know if that worked for it or against it. But I think looking back in hindsight, 10 years later, I mean, especially since we complain about the metaphor always being the monster, I kind of love this movie for being as gut wrenching and literal and going for the jugular in, in so many, many ways. ways it goes for the jugular. Yeah. yeah. And the movie itself it does. People are cutting themselves indeed. in the jugular, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Rachel, will you be leading the reclamation project for Texas Chainsaw 3D for its 10th anniversary next year? No, but <laughs> I do love the Jessica Biel Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh, well, that will be, God help us all, 20 years old I, next I know. year. I am with Rachel on that. 20 one, of, uh, one of the arguments Mike old. and I got to when we first met was about the Dawn of the Dead remake and that, which had both mm. come out. and uh, Not this. No, no, no. It wasn't Texas Chainsaw. It was just Dawn of the it Dead. Because I, like the, I, I like the Texas remake, too, even though they kind of lean a little bit too on the Serpy stuff sometimes. But yeah, yeah, that's I, 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 I do love, uh, I do like the, the, the remake for Well, something that's dated really well. The 2003 remake is there's a there's a shot of Harry Knowles' head on a plate. Man, I mean, it's sort <laughs> so of we got move on. Has dated well. <laughs> we got to move on. In a way, it was prophetic in a way. Yeah. But listen, I'm not sure if if the three of you've heard this, but in a 2020 interview with Blade Disgusting's The Boo Crew podcast, ever heard of Blade Disgusting? Pretty good oh, uh, website yeah. there. Alvarez discussed an original extended cut in which the character Mia at the end of the film when she's walking away gets picked up by a truck driver. And the truck driver Stop was it. supposed to be Ash, played no. by Bruce Campbell. Alvarez says, quote, Bruce was, when Bruce, was, when Bruce Campbell was approached, quote, Bruce was like, and he was totally right, I just feel like it's going to be like I'm the milkman and just showed up, and I don't think that's special. Bruce was right. It was very hard to give a real reason why Ash would show up and a coincidence that Ash would drive by 
and find a dying Mia. So he decided not to do it. And that kind of goes back to that tweet of, you know, coincidence versus fate. Like if, if it's fated, these people are going to be doomed. It's a little too cutesy coincidency that mm-hmm. that's make up a word. Coincidency. Maybe yeah. I did. Coincidental. I, I like it. Would be the... Yeah, but it's cuter if I say coincidency, you know, so it's, kind of, it's, it's kind of endearing. Alvarez <laughs> also, this is very recent. He released an alternate ending for everybody to see, which recalls the ending of Raimi's The Evil Dead, only when the when the evil is flying through the woods and breaks through the door, instead of Ash turning around and the camera zooming into Ash, it zooms into Mia. And that's also available now mm. on YouTube. It's uh, it's pretty cool. But that, again, actually, I kind of would have liked that because it would have been another fate related ending which i kind of would have liked looking back now but oh well well it was that and that that ending was originally supposed to even be darker because it was really like she was supposed to get pulled up like that and then also explode which i think is just way too much yeah what what do you guys make because we're we're still kind of talking about the sequel remake whatever what do you make of the stinger at the very end of the credits with bruce campbell saying groovy is that just supposed to be like a little fun thing or is it i've got a little story about that daniel Ah, uh, mm-hmm. I was, I was, I promise you, listeners, I was not trying to say. What if I like up, texted Dan? I was like, Dan, transition into me talking about this. <laughs> no, Bruce no, Campbell no, no, singer. no, no. <laughs> uh, no, Bruce Campbell was. This was either during uh, when they were scoring or editing the movie, and the, and they were Bruce Campbell was there with Fede Alvarez, and they were talking. And I guess the way that the the studio was lit, it gave him this cool look. So I think he kind of just like pulled out his phone or something like that, and recorded them saying it real quick. It was that quick. As like a joke, as like so, it's just we'll meant to be a little end. nod. Yeah, but yeah, but it was also but, breadcrumbs. But, but it was yeah. breadcrumbs in a way. Yeah. In addition to all that, Alvarez confirmed that the plan was for both Mia and Ash mm-hmm. to appear in a sequel. And he said, mm-hmm. "We start writing a sequel right away. Thinking about what the sequel is going to be, we all agreed it was going to happen. We had the full story, and then basically it was so strange. The whole intention was to do that to team Ash and Mia up." That was always the goal, but I think Sam had different goals. Sam wanted to have Bruce back for the TV show that came out a few years after that. Complex to make the movie at that time, and whatever mythology we were going to create with them would have been complicated for the show because Sam had his own ideas of what would happen to Ash, and he wanted to tell that story. So there you go. That's the way you got the show instead of the, the sequel, essentially, even though as of a couple years ago, there was still talk of a potential mm-hmm. sequel happening Featuring Mia, at the very least. But even a few years ago, Alvarez pretty much put the kibosh on that. Hmm. His Evil Dead in 2013 was shot. Guess where it was shot? Same place as Ash vs. Evil Dead. That's right. It was shot in New Zealand. Yeah, I was going to say New Zealand. Yeah. yeah. I, I thought before, when you, were, when you were doing your lead up to saying it wasn't even in the United States, I thought you were going to talk about New Zealand. But instead, you oh, talked no. not about a, a place, but a man. In Uruguay, a man himself, uh, yeah. Uruguay, the Uruguay zone. <laughs> yeah. uh, but this was shot in New Zealand over a couple months in the spring of 2012. And Evil Dead was released through Ghost House Pictures, which we discussed in great detail in our Drag Me to Hell episode. As well as TriStar Pictures, which we discussed in our Monster Squad episode, which you can only hear on our Patreon page. <laughs> Patreon.com backslash Halloweeniespod. The movie was made for a budget of $17 million, 45 times that of the original. <laughs> 45 times, now granted inflation, still looking at the dollars, 45 times that of the original, and made $97 million worldwide, three mm-hmm. times that of the original. 
Dang. Can you imagine, even though this movie's only nine years old, when you think about how much the industry has changed, $97 million, if they'd made that, if they'd made that now, would be mind-blowing, in my opinion. But yeah, I, I, yeah. that's where we are, folks. I mean, and that's like Nope, Nope level, right? Didn't that just break 100 Yeah, Nope million? just broke 99, I think. Oh, 99. No, no, but it made 100 million. It's made 100 yeah. million now. And Black Phone's done well. I think mm-hmm. Scream ended up making quite a bit of money too, but I they just don't did, think yeah. that this movie yeah. would have made $100 million. I don't. But that's how movies were making money nine years ago, you know? Any final words on the history before we get into the actual movie itself, Mike? Well, I, I think also, I mean, in terms of budget and, and dollars, mm. I think a lot of ch- a lot changes in 2013 too because uh, you know it's another big movie that comes out that summer that mm. changes the game big time. Mm. Not a Blumhouse movie, as I erroneously uh, cited it in uh, my interview with Jason. Uh, the Conjuring. Conjuring. The Conjuring. Yeah. And uh, oh, yeah. And uh, look, people, I was very tired. It was a long, long week at South by Southwest. And I uh, and honestly, that really does change the game for where blockbusters are are seen in, in horror. I mean, we talk about it on this podcast all the time, but I mean, beyond superheroes, horror is the most lucrative genre and most fastest growing genre in, in, in Hollywood right now. And I do think that the Conjuring films, and especially uh, the the return of things like Halloween, took it to another level where, yeah, 90, 97 million is not going to cut it as much as the, you know, what these movies made, you know, beyond that. Like, I mean, the, the Conjuring, it, uh, Halloween, Halloween kills, they, they, all these movies made like beyond hundred, $150 million. And that takes it to a new expectation. And which is kind of sad because I recall when, you know, the first scream hit and it made, you know, close to a million, a hundred million dollars and, you know, over a hundred million dollars. And that was like a big deal. And it mm-hmm. should still be a big deal that it makes that money. I think we're starting to get back to that a little bit now, now that we're like, okay, not every fucking movie, not every goddamn horror movie needs to make a half a billion dollars. Like it did like, you know, if we can break even or we can double it, that's a pretty big win. Do you think that it's because some, for real, I I know we talk about this all the time, but do you think it's because some of the Marvel movies have started to fail a little bit? Like, because I feel like before it was, well, Marvel's, I I know Marvel and horror is kind of apples and oranges, but not really because sat for better, for worse. I think um, MCU is sort of setting the baseline for every thing we do in movies these days in terms of business and so like the fact that Eternals didn't do well I don't know if Black Widow did well maybe it did maybe it didn't but do you think it has to do with that like the fact that the supposedly unkillable beast is suddenly able to be killed at the box office I don't know I mean I I think a lot of it has to do with just the fact that you know we need some sort of recognizable IP and the skeleton key the lucrative skeleton key about horror is that, you know, so much of it is just the thrilling aspect of it. Like, you know, if you can promise a ghost, if you can promise a monster, you know, you, you get, you get to be able to turn some heads. I, I don't know if that sort of old school logic works as much as say you still need some sort of recognizable IP. Cause like the thing with black phone is like, look how much they leaned on the idea of this being like a Joe Hill or like a Scott yeah. Derrickson, a Scott, a sinister thing, like, or a mm-hmm. Blumhouse thing. Like there still is that sort of, we need a name attached to it having said that i do think that in terms of ingenuity and original storytelling horror still is the best genre and most or or not the best genre but the easiest genre to do that in right now you know like it's a lot harder to do that for drama it's a lot harder to do it for action like you really do need to have some sort of ip attached to it whereas with with horror i still think you can get away with it i mean obviously 
a lot of that has to do with the filmmaker. I mean, I, I don't think if anyone other than Jordan Peele said, all right, well, look, I got this idea about a, a ranch. Uh, it has to do with aliens. And, uh, and like, also stop ties right there. In. You're involved. We'll make the movie. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Jordan Peele is IP now. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Yeah, so. Well, I think there's nothing better. It's more of an indicator than what you're talking about, Mike, in the fact that Paramount Plus is doing a movie based on the valet driver's in Ferris Bueller's Day Off, or they're doing a TV series based on that. And I'm Find not <laughs> joking, folks. That's yeah. happening. That's in progress right now. I wish them all the best. I wish Hollywood all the best. They're going to need it. I wish the <laughs> directors and producers the very, very best. But I do have one question. And that is, why does she keep making those horrible noises? I don't want to die. You're not going to leave me here, are you? Are you ass? <laughs> <laughs> the why does she keep making those horrible noises category in our podcast this is where we're going to be talking about the score of the film and the soundtrack now there's not a lot of songs in this film but a heap load of music and we're going to be trying to uh somebody who is very familiar with the scores and songs from movies several articles interviews with with filmmakers and composers alike about the music in their movies rich what's the most recent interview you did with a composer. Who was it with? Oh, uh, most recent one that published anyways was Mark Corvin. Talked about Black Phone. Black Phone, which you've just talked about yeah. on this podcast. Yeah. Very exciting. Do you have anything coming up that you can talk about or anything you're hoping to have up there? Um, I also, not not a composer, but also spoke with Vanessa Benton, who was one of the writers on the Sandman series, which I have been really enjoying. So that oh, was yeah. really interesting to hear their take on that and just the writing process and working with Neil Gaiman. So, yeah. Yeah, I never got into well, graphic novels in general, so I never really read the Sandman, but everybody's, Mike, you, you're a fan, my brother's a fan, a lot of people are fans of this, so I think I might have to take the dive. It's I'm great. Gonna, take, if I'm going to associate myself, watch the show, right? Have you watched and, the bonus app uh, yet, Rachel? No, or, but I love I that. <laughs> I love dying. the fact that they did that. Like, I think that's such a cool way to use the streaming platform and just, like, prolong that. I know you guys have talked about, like, dropping something versus, like, the the weekly model. Mm -hmm. So I think that was a fun way for them to kind of along, the, you know, uh, the conversation, <laughs> extend yeah. the conversation. But yeah, and anyways. the fact that nobody knew it was coming. Yeah, yeah. I think that's no. kind of interesting too, right? Yeah, it none of like them. In I interviewed weeks. two people with the Sandman, and none of them said anything about it. So kudos to them for I, keeping their mouths shut. I cannot. Cool. So I've only read the first graphic novel of Sandman, uh, Nocturnes and Preludes. I thought it was pretty good, but Mac was telling me he's like, you have to keep going. The first one is just kind of this intro. I, there's been a lot of talk about Sandman this week, and I always think it's about Adam Sandler every Sam single man. time. Every single time. I'm just, it's, it's like giving me an, 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 and I love Adam Sandler, so, but it's just funny because it's just giving, I feel like I'm going crazy every time here. But anyway. Well, Dan, you, you mentioned Sam, man. I mean, obviously you should be thinking about the intro to Halloween too. With Mr. Sandman, the Great song music that's, that's played. Ah. And of course, I'm talking about 1981's <laughs> Halloween too. Although, you know, again, it doesn't really exist anymore, so I guess you wouldn't really have any reason to think about that particular film. But Rachel, can you tell us a little bit about the music that is in Fede Alvarez's sure. Evil Dead? Yeah, so the composer for this is Roque Banos, who's a Spanish composer. And I love that he's involved with this because he was, or is, a really accomplished, popular composer in Spain, mm. but at the time was still kind of like an unknown composer here. He had worked on like some of Alex de la Iglesia's films 
And the only thing I think he had done in the U.S. before this was Jonathan Glazer's Sexy Beast oh, really and good movie. Uh, oh, yeah. Brad Anderson's The Machinist. Another so good it's, movie. you know, it's decent, some, some bigger pictures, but still, anyways, still kind of an unknown. But he, I love this story. Okay, so how he got involved with this was... Here's a quote from him. He says, I'm a huge fan of the three Evil Dead films. I was even excited when I knew there was going to be a remake before I had any idea of who the director was or any idea if I'd ever have the chance to compose the score. And then when he found out that Fede was involved, he here's another quote. I contacted Fede by Facebook. I love that. Wow. And he rapidly <laughs> answered my request and messaged me back very enthusiastically asking if I could compose the score. Of course, I said. Uh, but the most difficult part was, of course, trying to convince the producers. Fede put all of his effort into that and used my pre-existing music on the first cut of the movie. So as the temp music. And when he put that together with his direction, everyone was convinced that I was right for the job. So I love that. He was already a fan of the movies, yeah. just shot him a you know a Facebook message. And I'm sure Fede was like, uh, yeah, um, because his credits and his skill set is amazing. So, you know, Facebook is good for something, I guess. We finally found it. That's it. <laughs> we got somebody job yeah. on Evil Dead 2013. I mean, it's no Showbiz Cafe, but it gets wow. the job done sometimes. I don't know. <laughs> Look, Showbiz Cafe, it's only, as far as I know, it's domestic right now. But they are trying to branch out down to Uruguay and the New Zealand area. So maybe maybe in the next couple of years. That's a good story. I like the fact that, you know, that not only was Alvarez a big fan of this franchise, but so was the composer, right? It's not it's like yeah. these were just hired guns for something that they were unfamiliar with, which I do believe permeates most remakes of IP or takes advantage of IP these days, I guess. Well, and it's, yeah, it's, it's nice that when they both like it, cause there's just, there's an innate respect mm -hmm. there. And even if that doesn't necessarily affect your, you know, whatever area you're involved with, like, I don't necessarily think that his music is, you know, copying anything from Laduca, but mm -hmm. he understands what the franchise is, its legacy, its musical legacy, and then able to kind of put his own spin on that, which I think is really cool. Yeah, it does have its own spin. I didn't really get any vibe. I think even when you look back at those first three movies, the scores are so independent from each other, even though yeah. it's the same composer. So I felt it was kind of in line with that, honestly. Dan, did you want to add to that? No, I said something stupid, Dad. No, because <laughs> that's, that's what the Halloween is all yeah. about. Yeah, you need, you need the one guy there who knows nothing about the movie and just says dumb shit. Sounds like a Dave Zasloff. I I think my computer is listening. I had had Twitter open and suddenly after this talk about the Showbiz Cafe and me mentioning Showbiz Pizza, a meme about Showbiz Pizza popped up randomly. It, it does sure. listen, yeah. It does. Yeah. It is mm. freaky. Creepy. Anyway, it's it really creepy how it does that. Well, maybe they'll give us some coupons to the Showbiz Cafe. Well, they yeah. should. They should uh, re in when they uh, in Evil Dead Rise. I hope the Necronomicon is, is a laptop that's uh, bound in flesh and no, listens I, to you. Oh God, I, just, I don't want that. Please no. <laughs> that could that could so easily happen. Now I'm thinking about it. it's a it's a, it's a it's an iPad. It's an iPad. It's an iPad. Oh, yeah, exactly. God. Exactly. It's, it just, it, you know, it's like I had to upgrade to the new generation. And so it starts talking Fucker. to you know, Fucker. It's like Freddy all of a sudden. I I love this. I love this score. I, I think the mm. score is really, really solid. I, it kind of reminds me of uh, like early Resident Evil games. Uh, the especially oh yeah, like that's Resident true. Evil Two. There's the the the, the main theme, the dun 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 dun, like the the, the sort of tranquility of it all. I could have sworn I've I've heard it somewhere else, and and the only thing I could think of is is Resident Evil. 
especially even when you're like maybe in like the police station. Or... I was going to say when when you enter the police station in Raccoon City, because before that you're just outside with zombies and it's very chaotic and action movie based. And then we get in there. It's almost this kind of bell drone, yes. but it's low and it is kind of soothing. But then it, it does get creepy as you it's get really into eerie. The, the I, station. I remember when we were doing uh, one of my first pieces for for Bloody Disgusting last year was uh, working on like a round table for, for Resident Evil. Hmm. And I just found a loop of the the police station music, and I like after an hour of doing, it, I was just like, Ugh, like I gotta get the fuck out of this room or something like that. It's really creepy, but like the 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 the, the, the piano is just it's really affecting in this movie, and I, it it adds a it does feel very um, in sync with Laduca in the in the sense that like his score in that first one was very minimal too. Yeah, it was. And piano heavy, like yeah. he, so. I think that that instrumentation is definitely intentional, and I think that that's a really great way to kind of encapsulate and strengthen that relationship between Mia and her brother. And so you see that when they're you know having their conversations, and then especially when he's resuscitating her, I guess, yeah. and yeah. burying her. Like it's really effective there. Like that scene is a really emotional moment and the music I think really does support that really well. Uh, it's funny that you mentioned Resident Evil. So there's, I don't know if you guys, there's a bunch of air raid sirens used in this, which I always thought was like very Silent Hill-ish. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so it has that kind of atmosphere. Um, and he worked that into a lot of different things, and he associates that with the abomination. So, you know, the when you know you can't see it, but the, what they call the abomination. And I have a quote about that. So when he was working on this in the early stages, he said, It was coming from those nightmares that I got right when I began to score the film. I spent several nights dreaming about demons chasing me and chopping my body apart. Oh. And then but I was also uh, awoke suddenly by police sirens. One night I was really annoyed by that siren and thought it might cause the same impression in the movie so i made the sample and used it in some places fede rapidly loved it and we started spreading it out through the whole movie it was really a discovery so i i just always love those kind of random inspiration moments where you just happen to be working on something and you hear something and you're like wow this is driving me crazy <laughs> I'm going to put this in the movie. Like, this is going to be great. And just kind of that coincident of that whole situation. And you hear it a lot. You hear it in the track that's called Sad Memories, Get Me Out of Here, Bloody Kiss, Three Waves of Saving Your Soul. Anyways, it's it's in there a lot. But when you, whenever you hear that, it's, uh, you know, an auditory cue that the abomination is near. It's coming. It's lurking around. So I, that's that's an aspect of it. I, I thought I've always really been fascinated smart. with who titles you know soundtrack scores on on the albums you know like what are we going to call this piece of music what are we going to call this piece of music is it the composer or is it the producer most of the time it's the composer and sometimes they don't actually have to like nail it down until it gets released so Mm -hmm. i think like on a lot of older scores they don't actually have titles because they was never planning on getting released like Ah. i know like like the hills have eyes score if you look at that it's just a bunch of like 1-5, 1-5, 1-5, M2-4, because it's just Weird. their own internal notes because they never expected it to be released. But now, like, I think that they name them more often. Oh, yeah. Because isn't like Michael Giacchino, uh, he, I think he names all this stuff and he always gives it really cheeky over-the-top names like, ah, Monster Attack or something, which I, I, th- I think yeah. is a, his pre- own private joke. I could be wrong, but... Uh, yeah. Well, he made it well, public. Like, it's a, like, what was it? Was it one of the <laughs> Scream ones? Like, had... 
you know, they got released, but one of the names of one of the tracks was like kind of problematic a little bit because it's like, oh, really? They, you know, they like name them stuff that they were like, we're never intending to like, oh, just like, it's like racial really... slurs. You're like, what the fuck? Like, is yeah. this? I think, I think <laughs> it was just dead or something like that. Was it, was it a Scream 4 or they had, I think it was like track 11 was like Qui-Gon's Noble End or something like yeah. that? <laughs> <laughs> Or was it Dewey's yeah, was dead it. exclamation point? Yeah, or something like yeah. That. I can't remember I mean, if, what it is. But it doesn't yeah. matter at this point. But I remember when the Halloween 2018 soundtrack came out. You guys were like, "Do not read the track listing. Yeah. It just gives you a play by play of the movie." Mm-hmm. I don't remember if Kills does or not. I mean, Kills it wouldn't really matter. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we'll see if Ends does the same thing. Um, I also I just want to kind of I think it's interesting where this film and the score the music lands with uh, the time period that we're talking about because you think about what was really popular at this time. You also have like insidious and sinister yeah, and you kind of start getting into that more sound design score horror, which, you know, definitely has its place and is not necessarily new, but it was kind of coming back in popularity. Uh, Saw, um, you know, Charlie Closure and Joseph Bashara and those kind of composers, um, even Micah Levy with Under the Skin. And so having something this big and orchestral and orchestrated and beautiful and terrifying it's very it calls back to a different era of film scores and it's nice to see it kind of brought in um, amongst some more of these heavier sound scapes that was that going we're seeing on at that time at the time yeah, yeah i agree I mean, you also you also get a lot of vocals Mm-hmm. Um, which I think is cool. And he apparently had a friend who was a Latin professor. So he wrote down like some words that correlate to whatever scene he wanted those vocals in. And then he sent them to the professor. He translated them into Latin. And then that's what the choir is singing. So I don't know what they're actually saying, but apparently it's something that corresponds to what's happening in this scene. So I think that that's pretty cool. I, I think it's, I mean, Latin is a dead language. So it makes sense that yeah. deadites would be <laughs> yeah. insane in this It's language. also like, you know, very reminiscent of like the Omen, obviously, I yeah. think is like oh, yeah. the obvious comp. Um, and so, yeah, very reminiscent of that but also just you know it's very it captures the otherworldly ancient entity vibe of the deadites just like you were saying and uh fun note it was also all recorded in an old church that had been converted into a recording studio this is what i like to hear these little freaky elements i know granted we're (laughs) saying churches are freaky but you know that's a whole other podcast yeah but i do like that little ad there banos i saw here rachel he's actually worked with alvarez and everything he's done since Oh, yeah, did, two movies um, that he uh, that Alvarez has uh, managed well, to put yeah, out no since joke. then. But he did "Don't Breathe." He did mm-hmm. uh, "The Girl in the Spider's Web." He did yeah. "Don't Breathe 2, which I know Alvarez only uh, produced. I guess produced, yeah. I still haven't seen "Don't Breathe 2. I heard some interesting uh, things either. about it. <laughs> you haven't either, Rachel. No, I, it's one of those ones I just like read the premise and I'm yeah. like, you know what? I I, don't I know think I can wait one. on this yeah. one. <laughs> I. I don't know where like to talk about one. this because we didn't really talk about it in like in the history, but it's like I feel like Alvarez is almost like Robert Rodriguez, where he mm-hmm. kind of had these like two hits, like two big you know swings, and then did the one you know sequel with the IP thing, and then kind of just faded. Like I, I just thought we'd have more from him. Well, it's very strange, point. Mike. He hasn't done a movie. I mean, I, I'm sure some of this has to do with the pandemic, obviously, right? But his last movie was four years ago. I know, and it was the the girl in the spider's web. Which, by the way. Not good. It's no. a it's a bit of a mess, uh, in my opinion. It's like there's like three three different movies in the one movie for some reason. I don't know. Well, I, I, he was attached to Texas Chainsaw. Then, well, he still was, I guess, by the end of it. But not wasn't he going to direct it originally? 
This is I what I'm saying, where it, it feels yeah. like Robert Rodriguez, where it's, you know, yeah. he's attached to Predators, doesn't do Predators, goes to Nimrod mm. Atal, which I love Predators, but like, I don't understand why, if you're Robert Rodriguez, you wouldn't do that IP. It's one of the most, you know, coveted IP of all time. So it's the same thing with like Alvarez. Well, he it's had like, to do like Shark Boy or, Lava Girl or whatever the hell it was, right? <laughs> well, yeah. that time. Alvarez fortunately didn't have a Shark Boy Lava Girl no, situation, but it's just, it is weird where it's like, all right, well, you didn't do it. Maybe he just, after the girl kicked the, whatever it's called, they, he was like, all right, I'm <laughs> not doing this anymore. I, I can never keep, t- keep track of the, the titles. I think the girl who kicked the, that the hornet's nest is one of them, right? Yeah, yeah. That's a, yeah. Uh, th- is it that same series, the dragon tattoo? The, yeah, the, girl, yeah, yeah. the yeah. girl who kicked the dragon tattoo. Well, that, that just seemed yeah. like such a bad idea, Gene's thing. It's like, all right, well, you're going to, it's it's kind of a sequel, but not really a sequel to the David Fincher one. It's just like, what are you doing here? Like, why did you choose this as your thing? Because it's like, you watch... God damn it. Like you watch like Don't Breathe and and then also this and it's just like fuck I, I would love to see more movies from him because he's yeah. so unflinching. Like it, it's so relentless his his type of like tension yeah. and horror and that's what I want from movies right now. I want but these you know experiences. What, Mike, I know it's been a while and God knows where this guy's career is going to go but and I say this without being facetious. If you can believe it at home, I'm being sincere when I say this. I am curious to see what he does with Alien. Yeah, me too. So oh, like those absolutely. Movies, yeah. Good or bad with the exception of after Resurrection, like those first four Alien movies had like visionary directors. Yeah. I do feel like Alvarez is a can be that type of a director. And I will say too agree. that even with all the problems of the Alien series, just behind the scenes, and I know you know Fincher disavows even the assembly cut. What I like about the Aliens movies, the Aliens movies, the Alien movies, is that every single one, at least in those first four, and even Prometheus, regardless of one's feelings toward it you do see those directors handprints on those. It's not like in the Marvel movies where they kind of all get processed through the meat grinder. It all ends up a little flat. I mean, even Sam Raimi is Dr. Strange in all those movies. You're like, okay, Fincher and alien three, even with, uh, with all the issues that plagued that movie, that feels like a Fincher movie to me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Even the fourth one, which once again, you know, polarizing film, but still that feels like a uh, Jean-Pierre Jeunet movie to me. Like, I feel like those directors stamps are all over that. So That that being said, I don't know. I, I want to see Hollywood is different now because you know creators have been getting fucked over since the beginning of time in, in Hollywood. But we we will see a successful, talented director get attached to something, regardless of how famous they are. It, a may not work out, or even if it does work out, I mean, studio interference is always a thing, right? So it depends on who what. I don't know, it depends on what the producers are going to do with Alien. I well, think. I Alien mean, Three is no exception to that. Fincher exactly, doesn't want even to talk though I love that anymore. movie, yeah. I, I do. But and and I think some of the studio interference actually worked out for the better with some of the story elements. Um, they they can fuck things up easily. So if, if they if we can get an Alien movie, uh, where we get to see Fetty Alvarez be Fetty Alvarez, I think that would be yeah, awesome. Yeah, that'd be Great. cool. Well, before we move on, a couple more notes about Abanos. He recently did Uma. Another mm-hmm. Ghost House production, Sam Raimi movie. So, you know, he's still in good standing with them. Something we've never talked about on this pod, because really it's not franchise. Bios did the score for a movie called His House that came out a couple years oh, ago. I, I, was, I have that in my notes, too, because I yeah. thought that movie was great. Really good. On Netflix, yeah. That's on Netflix. Good movie. Check it out if you can. Really, Like an original story. We've been talking about IP ad nauseum, but this is a really fresh take on a haunted house story. Um, interwoven with the politics of, you know, the country in which is made, basically. Good movie, check it out. No free ads. Remy Weeks did it. <laughs> it's called His House. Maybe my favorite movie that Banyos has been associated with. To be totally honest with you. Look, we talked a lot about the music of this film. I'm talking about the performances, and 
why not start off with the lead performance in a category we're still going to stick with and call Hail to the King, baby. Sure, I could have stayed in the past. Could have even been king. But in my own way, I am king. But really, we should call this category Hail to the Queen. Baby. I know, yeah. Because mm-hmm. uh, this ashes, ashes, no, ashes No More. Delta Remains, but Ashes No More. The lead of this film is Mia Allen, played by the great Jane Livy, who went on to star in Fede Alvarez's Don't Breathe. This is what I was talking about, why this movie, for me, has aged well. It's because, granted, the cabin looks the same, the atmosphere kind of feels the same, a lot of the ticks and from the first one happened in this one. But there is that great subversion of the Mia character, who initially we think is just kind of an enhanced version of Cheryl from the original Evil Dead. And that turns out to not be the case at all. I mean, and you add this other great little subplot, so this other little kink in the, uh, the mission of the, of the characters in the story is the fact that she's not just, they're not just going to the cabin to hang out. This character has major addiction issues and she's gone under pledge sobriety and the kind of, Get it out of her system, you know, the nightmare that you have to go through with that. So you're adding, not only are people not going to believe that there's something in the woods, people are going to think either it's because she's seeing things because of her drug and drinking issues, or that she just wants to get out to go get a fix. And I thought that that was a really fresh take on the material that is a hundred mm-hmm. it's, it's a 180 from the original it's the a genius of the original. it's a genius approach it's a genius yeah. because you're you're introducing doubt mm-hmm. and that's something that you just don't really have so much so in the in the original one yeah and and i and i love that about this movie and and it adds so much more depth too you know and then to introduce that twist in that final act is just fucking wild like i that's yeah. where, where i was talking about you know grinning from cheek to cheek like that's where i was like Oh wow! Like, just couldn't believe it. Like, I couldn't believe that was happening. Like, because I just thought it was, it was absolutely just going to be David as this like Ash caricature, and I was like, yeah. oh god. You know? I was wondering, like, did you guys? Because I went into it and was like, okay, who's the Ash comp? Who's the Ash comp? And I had no idea what was happening, and I thought it was going to be him the whole time, just the way he was dressed. He had the denim shirt on, mm-hmm. and you know. And then I was like, so wonderfully just gleefully surprised when it was like oh my god it's like it's fucking Mia like this is amazing I love that well and know what I love too is that and and I will admit in the middle of the movie I was actually longing for them actually I never say this about horror movies for them to lean even a little bit more into that because it it, I feel like it went it's really present in the beginning and then I feel like it, it maybe goes away a little bit but what I love about it too is that it kind of folds in this quest narrative to the series. Whereas the first one's like, okay, they're all showing up to have a nice weekend. And then, uh, yeah, everyone just kind of gets picked off with this. The goal is to save her, right? It's to save her from dying of a drug overdose, to get her detox, to get her clean. And by the end, in a weird way, because of the actions of him and her, she actually fulfills her goal like that. That that actually ended up being really satisfying Mm -hmm. to me. And you know, in lesser hands, it could have been too heavy handed, but at the end, you're like, no, she actually has at least for now defeated her addiction. She got through this weekend. She didn't relapse. She didn't try and leave to go to the hot or she didn't end up making it to the hospital or any of that. So for me, it actually made, gave the film a much more tangible goal. And she reaches that goal by the end, which makes it to me a very satisfying, just, story in general well it's because of that i'm happy they didn't stick with the other alternate ending which is going to be after the credits 
when the truck driver picks her up and she says, do you have any heroin? Oh my God! <laughs> I thought that would have been really just. <laughs> oh, Justin! I, you know, I thought Dark that really would have been. Oh my God! <laughs> and it's Ewan McGregor driving. Just purpose, and, you know. You know, you know. Traits less for life starts playing. Yeah. Oh God! God. <laughs> or no, you know, life. she's they're, they're driving and then like they almost yeah. hit someone and it's just like Renton in front of the you know like oh. like looks right in. <laughs> um, it's like the worst cabin in Michigan instead <laughs> of the yeah. worst toilet in Edinburgh. Jesus Christ! <laughs> Listen, we're having fun here at the Halloweenies. Here's something I noticed this time that I was very curious about your takes on this. And nobody talks about this. Is how she's possessed in this movie is awfully similar to what happens to Cheryl in the original one, or at least an act that happens to her, in which the abomination kind of vomits up this black probing slime, and it goes up into her vagina, it looks like. Does it, it not? Her. Yeah, yeah, I think it's the uh, reference to the tree scene, right? In the first yeah, one. Oh, but is, yeah, but nobody ever has, nobody's really talked about that because obviously a lot of people have major issues with the original because of that. But the same thing happens in this movie, but nobody really, I don't know. That's I'll all. tell you Maybe this. That's another topic. I don't know. But when this was first, an, when this was first announced and then they started, you know, showing the trailers and then also the screenshots. The shot of her looking back and being like like terrified or whatever, I will say that was one of the first things in my mind, especially the fact that she was in like trees. I was like, oh my God, are they really going to do this scene again? Mm. And they do. And then to add on something that no one really talks about, and I think actually Jane Levy might have brought up, is the fact that like certain similar situation kind of happens in dead in a in don't breathe. And it's so it's a, it's a, it's a, it's, a, it's really eerie. Like I don't I don't I don't know why like that's there. I mean, it certainly adds like a holy shit like a moment in in this movie, um, but it also doesn't don't breathe too. Also, so not not don't breathe too, but don't breathe. Yeah. Like I just remember but when that happened, I was like, I, discourse. I, well, and that's why I was like, I can't believe we're doing this again. But in this one, in this case, like it's one of those things where it goes a little bit further than the original one, where you actually kind of see a little bit more of like the the myth, the mythology of what this all is, and in in certain cases in a lot of remakes, like I usually hate that. Like I usually hate when they show the boogeyman too much, like in, you know, Rob Zombie's Halloween, they explain like, Oh, we're going to hang with him in the mental hospital. And we're going to explain why his, you know, he is the way he is. It's like, well, you just destroyed the the conceit of the character Mm. in this. I don't think it really does that for me. Like, I I actually like the fact that we get to see some sort of idea of the, the abomination is that the evil twin that kind of builds upon like the evil maniac ash in a way also giving a little bit more structure to the mystery doesn't destroy it for me. I kind of like it here. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it works here. I, 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 look, I understand why people have an issue with, with, we talked about this a lot in the Evil Dead episode, with with that sequence. I just find it, it I think it's another example, Rachel, maybe you can chime in here too, obviously. It's it's almost like, you know, choose the discourse of the day. Like, what are we going to talk about <laughs> at, forever and then just not talk about when it happens again for some reason? Like, I don't I don't understand why this, this doesn't get brought up. Yeah, but I, I have... I thought of something on this watch that I didn't really think about the first time, something Mm. that I really like what they do with her. She is set up. Okay. If you think about the final girl in the general, very broad, you know, Carol Clover sense, Mia kind of subverts that at every turn. And I love that. So you think about the whole pure virginal aspect. Well, the demon we're talking about right here, the demon gets inside her. Very literally. So that kind of counteracts that. You think about the idea about a person, you know, a woman who has this like fighting will to survive. There's some questions about 
her substance abuse and then wanting to escape and how she's relapsed and OD'd in the past. Not saying that I agree with that has anything to do with the will to survive, but there's Mm. some issues there that you can unpack. Usually final girls are very curious. What I like is that that aspect kind of falls more onto the character of Eric, Mm -hmm. like the the Lou Taylor Pucci character who's digging into the book and makes this all happen. So I like that that's taken away from her as well. Like she's not really interested in what's happening. It's just happening. <laughs> I mean, she says literally like you shouldn't touch anything in that basement. Yeah. Yeah, which yeah. Is yeah great. so that's like literally a subversion of what a final girl would do. And then you also just the idea that like women who deviate from the norm die. Whereas if you're good and follow all the rules, you survive. And clearly Mia is a bit of an outsider and has kind of done some things in her life that have, you know, caused her difficulty. She did stay there for her mom. So that is interesting that they kind of have that aspect to her. But anyways, moral of the story, I love how she's a very flawed character, but also still manages to be that really powerful empowering final girl at the end of it and just how they set that up because i didn't see that coming and it just made the whole payoff so much more incredible and i just love how they kind of used her character to do that it's i appreciate that so much more well i think she's what's interesting about this character when we look back on all the movies that we've covered over the last four seasons is that she's almost a subversion of a subversion yes for the halloween movies you think about laurie strode you uh-huh. think about Jamie and, and everybody else. Basically, it's, it comes down to like the final girl, final woman. And then Elm Street, it's Nancy, it's Alice, you know, and then Scream, obviously, it's Sydney. Yeah. What else do we cover on this, on this thing? Friday 13th, even most, but Tommy Jarvis is an exception most oh, of the time. Again, it's, yeah. yeah. Love Jenny. Jenny's great. Ash himself was a subversion because I think when mm-hmm. you're watching that movie, you think it's, the way it's kind of positioned that maybe Cheryl would be the final girl, you know? Yeah. That doesn't happen. It ends up being Ash. The flip of you think Dallas is going to survive and be the hero of Alien and it's Ripley. Well, now you're doing subversion and subversion because you think it's maybe yeah, going to yeah. be David. Or even, honestly, you mentioned, we were talking about who's the quote-unquote Ash of the movie. I also got some Ash vibes in Eric because Love he Eric. is kind of like Ash in, that, in the first film in which he's very cowardly and getting the shit kicked out of him the entire movie, right? Yeah. But they subvert that, and they have it be yeah. the quote-unquote Cheryl character. Who I thought that, that was very clever and very well done, and I always talk about a remake warranting its existence. I think that that alone, that subplot alone, warrants the existence of 100%. this Evil Dead. I, I completely agree. Well, and I just showed, I mean, he was clearly very passionate about this, and I know that yeah. like sometimes having somebody who's really like knowledgeable on a subject can cause its own set of issues but i feel like this is a prime example of having a director who's really passionate about the project and moving it in a new direction having that work and who understands the genre and all of these tropes and is able to play with them and manipulate them in a way that benefits and moves the genre forward and Mm -hmm. moves the franchise forward that is not always the case but this is really a great example of that succeeding well, I'd be curious if they, in the perfect world, if they had continued the series on. Um, take out the whole if Ash was involved, because I don't know how that would have worked tonally, honestly. Um, yeah. If I don't they had either. just continued on with this yeah. character and with Fede Alvarez involved, I wonder if they would have continued to lean in on the recovery aspect of it and going back home and having people not believe her. 
because of everything that we talked about in this movie. Yeah. Is she's recovering. Is she lying again? Killed all lose? her friends. Yeah. And that, yeah. you would really believe it if you knew that this person was troubled and quote, and the stigma of having, mm-hmm. and they mentioned this in the movie, the fact that David and Mia's mother was institutionalized, that stigma that can unfortunately be passed down to kids. I would have been interested to see that take on it too, and how that would have how that would have worked. Well, like, and that, that's where I'm kind of like confused on this Evil Dead Rise thing because it's you know if you're gonna make another follow up, like Mia is so celebrated right now to the fact that like when the Evil Dead game was renounced, uh, you know, a couple of years ago or you know a year and a half ago or so, the first question everyone has is like, well, is Mia gonna be in it? Where's Mia? And then they finally added her. Like she got added to the game. Yeah, She's gonna be coming up week. soon. Yeah, and. So you have a fan favorite character now, and that's so hard to do. And especially with a celebrated franchise that already has a fan favorite character. I mean, you guys talked about Ash vs. Evil Dead and how they introduced a lot of the supporting characters in that. And clearly they do have a bunch there. You know, obviously Pablo, Kelly, and, and Ruby. But to be able to do like what is, you know, look, we can call this a sequel, but in, on, on face value, when you pitch it to, you know, on surface level, this is like a remake in the sense to be able to successfully do it and give you another Ash and Mia, I just don't understand why they didn't do Evil Dead Rise with her like going home, like what you're saying here. Hey, like, maybe it, she's in it. Maybe they like those these girls move in, they like knock on the wrong door, maybe yeah. like opens the door and it's like, oh sorry, no, this is three B. You're you're in four B. It's just one floor up. And or she's like, like, this you, is E D. Yeah. E D R. She's, she's like, oh, I'm, I'm, my uncle's staying with me. I hope that's okay. My uncle Ash. Uh, or like, or like a Rosemary's Ruby. Baby situation. They like oh, meet no. in the laundry room and then somehow like Mia meets a tragic end and it just like unravels from there. <laughs> well, Look, was, I'm on board. I'm on board. I mean, we always talk about like is with when you're talking about um, like especially series, we talk about like, oh, is this the best story you could have of this character? And, and, and you kind of do with Mia. Like, I mean, what, I mean, narratively, like, what else is she really going to do other than like being able, I mean, obviously dealing with the home life and, and maybe how perceptions are back at home could be something. But like, narratively, this is going to be the best arc, you know? Mm-hmm. And so maybe well, in a she, sense, it is good that it's kind of over. She gets away clean, literally, yeah. and metaphorically, right? Like, and I like that ending for her. I mean, yeah. I know we brought up Alien 3 before, spoiler alert if you haven't seen Alien 3, but I mean, part of why so many people have issues with that movie is because everything that Ripley fought for in the second movie to get Newt out alive, to get Hicks out alive, goes away in that first five minutes, which on one hand is very bold and very cool. On the other hand, it does feel a little bit like a cheat. So I I kind of want her story to end here, or yeah. if it doesn't end here, maybe she is just back as some kind of hero in this next one, because I... I, I once again I love that quest. I love that they complete that quest, and I'd like to see that honored in the next movie. If, if you know, if we do end up getting her story, well, you know, hopefully this alien movie will do really well, and we can get one of those one for you, one for me things. Mm. I want to bring. I back wouldn't. Hey, I wouldn't be surprised if Jane yeah. Levy pops up in this alien one. If, if fine, obviously man. if she's a muse for for Fetty Alvarez, I'm all for it. I love Jane Levy. I was one of my yeah. biggest disappointments, and I and I say this lightly just because I don't I don't consider the return disappointing at all but like when Jane Levy popped up in Twin Peaks the Return like I was really excited I was like oh great she's gonna be in this and then you know she hung out at the roadhouse one night and got scared by uh Evil Coop's son so I mean that's it yeah. nothing good I, <laughs> t- I want to talk about that a little bit because I felt like she was positioning herself to be kind of the next quote-unquote scream queen because mm-hmm. this came out Don't Breathe came out which she was fantastic in and then she was on Castle Rock as Jackie yeah. Torrance. Yeah, not a yeah. great, not a great You know, role. which is something that yeah. we definitely joke about. And she was on that show that kind of had a cult audience, that Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist show mm-hmm. on NBC, I think. But 
I, I keep thinking about her and Alvarez and the, the timing of all these upcoming projects and how much the pandemic really just halted the brakes. I feel like changed so many trajectories. I feel like something yeah. else would have happened for her in the last few years. I just didn't get the chance to happen. And I hope that she finds success in the future because she's a I really good actor. Well, yeah, and I wouldn't count her out because no. what I love about her, and I think this does, you see maybe why she was cast as Jackie Torrance in Castle Rock, because I think she's very similar to Jack Nicholson in some ways. Yeah, uh, just her her physical, facial like control and the how she's just, I feel like she has a, an incredible range of physicality to her expressions that is so crucial to this film. Like, I think that that really helps sell a lot of sort of the I I'm using the word camp for lack of a better word, but some of that energy that we see in the original first two, she's the one that's delivering that and kind of keeps this from kind of falling into the the early 2000s remakes holes where it's just hot actors playing these roles, but it doesn't have the spirit of the original. I think it's really her actual physical performance that sells that like just the oh, way yeah. her eyes move and just like the way her like screams look and i just am just always so impressed with the way that she delivers that you know those performances throughout yeah throughout if, this movie if, if elizabeth blackmore had played the role i don't know if this movie would have yeah it wouldn't have well. the same impact exactly well, what about the what ifs i mean so originally it was supposed to be lily collins and I think I don't... that's too. I mean, I look. I know that Levy had had a show on Suburgatory. I yeah. think was on for a few years. But Lily Collins, this is a case where it would have been too distracting. Yeah, and I think she's actually a good actor. Lily Collins actually, I, I saw, she was in some movie Windfall, I think, on Netflix. Yeah, I she was good. Love in that. that. Yeah, but uh, I think that would have been that would have taken me out of it too much. What about what about Jillian Jacobs? Because she was also originally uh, sought out for this. that. She it's funny because she not so much in this movie, but Jane Levy like looks a lot like Jillian. Yeah, Jacobs, yeah. You know? I, like, I, I like, think so too. Again, though, I'm at this point we're like halfway through Community's run. Yep, too distracting. I think. Yeah, the, yeah. yeah that's a good point. I mean, we talk about this all the time. I think that these the movies, a lot of these movies that resonate so much, even the quote unquote bad ones from the '80s, it's because those people never did anything again. That we only associate them with the terror that they're going through but in those guys, movies, you know? I mean, that's what you guys stressed with the Descent episode. Yeah. Is the fact that, you know, it, it does feel like this is a, a singular story in that respect because of the casting alone. Yeah, like yeah. with the Descent. Just I mean, now, the Descent too, you know? Descent now, it's like, uh, it's like Aquafina, Mindy uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Cowley. Like Zendaya. Yeah, and no. Zendaya. Oh, no. Yeah. Just like putting it all hit. out there. People are going to... Sydney Sweeney, Dan. just like the, the, the Cassie Euphoria. Megan Fox. Yeah, <laughs> oh, exactly. God. They're all like different ages for some yeah. reason. Uh, <laughs> David Zaslav is listening now. He's putting through his algorithm machine and trying to figure out if the taxes work on this new version of Descent. He's like, is Betty White still alive? Drew Barrymore pops up and she's like, hey, let's go Let's go spelunking. Come on, guys. This, is, this is absolutely going to happen now. We only have ourselves Linda to blame. Hamilton. <laughs> yeah, Linda Hamilton's like, there too. Tour, tour she's like the guide. Yeah, oh, yeah. and she's doing yeah, lines yeah. also because you know they do that also. It's just like uh, she's like, I'll be right back. You know, I'll be back or something like that. You know, it's like, oh, okay. Well, one like last Terminator. thing I wanted to point out that I noticed on this rewatch <laughs> is the fact that Ash loses his um, right hand arm, oh, and this is... Mia loses her left. But yeah. That was a nice what, linear image there too. What arm does? Oh my gosh, uh, Elizabeth Blackmore's character uh, uh, lose? Um, 
the Natalie. right for the right first and oh, that's right. both of yeah. yeah and then she gets her left shot off right Is yeah that right? okay yeah, I will both. Say, know, what, know what i do love about the tone of this and I, I thought about this because i mean look we all love the scene evil dead 2 where ash cuts off his own hand and but if you think about it he pretty easily secures it and gets the chainsaw on and then he's good like the rest of the movie I feel like the difference in tone is just so represented in that scene because when she's cutting off her arm, it's like, oh that's not going to work God. and it doesn't work. Yeah. It and doesn't. then, oh, and then the other one gets shot off. And well, then even at the end where, oh, even at the end where Mia puts the chainsaw like, on, it. it's not like she puts it on, like raises it in the air and it's this triumphant thing. It's like a struggle. Mm-hmm. And I love that. I love that illustration of tone. But I mean, obviously the movie can only be so realistic because it's about demonic possession. But when you think about just that, all those arm severances, you're like, no, this operates differently in this movie because in Evil Dead Two, it's it's like a five minute thing that he's done, and he's actually more powerful for it. So I, mm-hmm. I really I really appreciated that like stark contrast. She I, literally I think that was a bold has move. to rip it off. It's oh, so gross. It's, it's so nasty. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> fucking Christ, that would hurt. It's it's it's. How would you blank not pass style. out from? The, you know what I mean? Yeah. Blank check style. Uh, blank that check. That must hurt. Oh God. <laughs> God, Jesus! Wow, deep cut. Thank Disney you very Plus? much. Well, I, I think, think it's, it's celebrating its 30th anniversary this year. I wanted to pay. pay you got Miguel Ferrer in there. You get some horror, some horror pedigree. Uh, you know what Jack. I love about Blank Check is like oh, when uh, Karen Duffy's just like, uh, yeah, I'll go on a date with this 12 year old. You know, um, those were the days. You know, yeah. yeah. I was probably <laughs> that kid's age. I would have, I would have gone on a date with her too. Everyone's if I was fucking years old. going nuts about licorice pizza. Go after Blank Blank Check a little bit. Revisit that one. That's the the impetus. PTA is like, guys, you know, I was really oh my god, it's trending on Twitter right now. Oh no, we did it. <laughs> no. Whatever you do, don't watch Lola with uh, Charles Bronson. <laughs> oh god, don't watch, don't watch any movies from the seventies. Honestly, let's go. <laughs> yeah. Great as they were, you know what? There's really no place to put this, Mike. I did not watch the director's cut of this. I'm not sure how much more grotesque this could be, but what is the what yeah, differences the are there cut. in the director's cut? I don't cut? think I did either. Do you know anything about this? Yeah, it's uh, there's about five minutes more. Mm. About four and a, that's actually four minutes and fifty seconds longer. Well, please um, be specific theatrical. next time when you say five minutes. I, well, you know, I, I will. <laughs> so I'll be as specific as possible because there are a lot of uh, different cuts. And I, movie-censorship.com has this incredible rundown. I'll go real quick on it. About nine minutes and seven seconds in, uh, Mia, after she gets rid of her drugs in the well, she leaves the group. Eric follows her. David, Olivia, and Natalie stay behind and talk about Mia, rehab, in the following three days. And it really does add a little bit more weight to the the, the drug uh, rehabilita- rehabilitation uh, plot line. So I, I actually enjoyed that. About 10 minutes and 32 seconds in, David is walking across the hall because he, there's a shadow near the window. And it turns out there's a cat and it snarls at him at the window. It's a really, really cool effect, actually, too. And it also gives you a little bit of the lay of the land of the cabin in a way that Mm. the originals do. Because I feel like any fan of the Evil Dead could probably walk through the cabin without even thinking about it. You know, that's one of the things I love about the the video game is that I know where everything is, even Mm. just because of the movie. 20 minutes and 11 seconds in, Eric flips a page in the Necronomicon. And then again, you see a little bit more of uh the 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 pages in the necronomicon and some of them are like even like slight references to the original movies like um there's one that's like has like a creature that looks a lot like um henrietta in a, in a, oh. in a way so that's kind of eerie do you guys think with the Necron? i like the necronomicon in this overall but i i love the kind of medieval illustrations i didn't like when they scrawled out like pour scalding hot water yes. i know I'm like, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, what's yeah, going yeah. on you don't need to do that well that one yeah, is anyway. like originally produced by robert tapper you know yeah, like, okay. <laughs> we got the Easter yeah. Eggs. 
Uh, sorry, so 47 and 38 minutes in, there's a slightly extended shot of uh, Mia cutting her tongue with a knife, and it's really disturbing. And in fact, that whole fucking scene is already disturbing. And yeah, I don't need more of that, we're man. Good. That's, yeah. We're good here. Yeah, so like the frontal shot is a little longer because in the theatrical version, the hand, the other, it kind of contains an alternate shot of Natalie. It's mostly from the side, too. I feel like you don't see it cutting quite well i guess you do yeah, yeah it's pretty gr- it's Look, it's brutal it's, it's disgusting brutal. <laughs> yeah this movie is fucked up <laughs> there's also it, well, there, it is fucked up you know justin gerber <laughs> the there's most also, fucked up movie you will ever see well, there's another there's a little bit of comedy that kind of feels a little bit more like the original ones um at 48 and 48 48 minutes and 48 seconds in eric enters the door and puts down a can and some water and then he drinks the water and he thanks david for it because that's uh, you know, he when he's outside, he's like, I want to get you some water, and then he never does. So then the fact that Eric walks in and takes oh. it himself, kind of a good joke. You get at 51 minutes in, you get a little bit more of Natalie's hand, and you get you see her like trying to push out the black fluid more. Like, there's like it's almost like um, a weird body horror of a virus. I love that. I, I wish they, you know, I would definitely yeah, because keep that I, in. I, I they showed it in the movie initially, but bit, not that much. Yeah. But you yeah. just you hear it kind of like making almost like some chittering noises and it gets a little <sighs> globular, but then I feel like it scales back. Like, I actually thought it was going to go farther uh, with that um, than yeah. it did. I'm imagining like Jake from the MPAA ratings board was like, listen. You can show her ripping her, tearing her arm off from the collapsed car, but if we see any black goo leaving that person's hand, like no, I, we won't have no it. deal, no dice, no deal, can't release yeah. the movie. Well, there's also some stuff that you see in the trailers that in the theatrical cut you don't. So at 52 minutes and 56 seconds in, Natalie says, "Give me back my hand," and then Possess Mia does the "We're gonna get you" from um, the cellar. I remember that bothered me in the trailer. I thought, yeah. "Oh, wait, what? We're doing this?" But you're right; it's not in the movie. I think that's wise. I think that's a and little too. It's a little too cute, but it's it, but look, Jane Levy sells it. She sure. sells it, um, and her eyes are terrifying in that. Obviously, you get a little bit more with her uh, Natalie ripping her arm off with the the turkey cutter, which is just really brutal. I kept thinking of the name for that. What is that? Is it what is electric? It called? Just electric knife. Electric knife. Yeah, yeah electric knife. That yeah. simple. I could. I was yeah. watching. I was like, how do I describe this? Okay, it's electric knife. There's a little bit more questions and dialogue with like Eric uh, and David, which I like a lot because one of my favorite parts of the original Evil Dead is the relationship between Scotty and Ash. There's a little bit more with Natalie when she's uh, possessed. She turns her head sideways in the extended cut. The question, want to play, little man follows after the tracking shot. So that's about 59 59 minutes in. And then you get more shots of Eric after the blows with a crowbar, which are fucking just brutal. So you see more of, uh, he gets more wounds. Like he actually gets hit in the head a couple more times uh, with it. So not great then we actually see what happens to olivia and natalie's bodies at about an hour and one minute in david soaks olivia's body in gas and lights her up while he takes his girlfriend's body to the shed and the infamous scene from the trailer follows which is that david wraps the body in plastic and then chops her into pieces with the chainsaw and this is it's it's awesome like this whole sequence is so fucking cool well, and here's the thing we needed that yeah because i don't understand why she never came back like she died by just being mm-hmm. shot in the arm. Yeah, no. And they, and they never go back to the character again. I was very surprised that yeah. she didn't come back living. It was like, oh, you you killed her? Like, no, I, I don't know. That confused me. I, I imagine Fetty Alvarez was absolutely pissed that it was taken out because the mm. whole sequence is not only like a really clever homage to the original one, you get a lot of Raimi-esque cuts, but you get some beautiful fucking shots. Like the way that the red is just glazed all in within the shed, juxtaposed with just the sort of grays and blues of the rain coming down. 
Awesome scenery. Awesome scenery. Hmm. I, I think storytelling wise that needed to be in the movie. Yeah, I agree. Very strange. And then an hour and 10 minutes in, it cuts to Mia. And the demon tells her uh, David was going to burn in hell just like a sister, which is kind of unnerving. It gives you a little bit more context that, yes, they are going to hell, which is really eerie. And then there's another, about an hour and 16 minutes in, Eric burns in front of David. So when the camera pans to David, he opens his head and we get to see that he is also possessed. So, oh. yeah, which you don't really get in the movie. Hmm. And then uh, an hour and 18 minutes in, the theatrical version contains a longer shot of Mia approaching the car, opening the door. In the extended cut, she is incapable of opening the door at first. And so in order to do so, she has to use a key. And that's what kind of pauses her a little bit more to, um, to screw up. And then an hour and 22 minutes in, when Mia pulls her hand out from under the car, the scene starts earlier. So you get to see a little bit more. <laughs> it's pretty fucking gross. And then you also get an alternate shot of Mia's uh, bloody arm stump, and it just stays with it. Kind of like classic Raimi, where you just see like things coming, like it squirts a little bit too. Uh, so it's pretty grotesque. And then the big one is, the additional scene is during the credits when Mia's walking across the street. She stops with exhaustion. The car stops. An older man gets out, helps her, and, and then puts her in the back of the car. And then the, he wants to take her to the hospital, and it, it ends with her opening her eyes. And it's weird because... I remember this as her opening her eyes and she's evil, but it doesn't. She's just has her, her eyes open, which mm. made me happy because I don't want mm. an evil. Yeah, Mia. she's been through. <laughs> she's already been to it. It sounds to me like the next time I watch this, I'm going to watch the director's cut because this actually sounds yeah, like it's a proper. Yeah, same. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, look, man, the regular cut was what was streaming on Amazon. So that was. Uh, hey, brother. Same thing. I want to thank Jeff Bezos uh, for um, oh, we're, we're really thanking the billionaires out there sponsoring right now. the pod. Oh, well, we, look, we, we let Zaslav have it. Finally, yeah. somebody <laughs> ripped David Zaslav on, on, on social media. Rip Zaz, rip Zaz's off asses at ripped Zazoff ass off. <laughs> Zazoff Zazoff. Yeah. Um, look, we're going to go into this next <laughs> category, even though it's more or less our cast category. But we, I, I have a couple questions here. It's a, it's a category we call within the woods. Cheryl, what's the matter with you? Did something in the woods do this to you? No, it was the woods themselves. They're alive, Ashley. The trees. They're alive. Ash, why don't I take her in the back? Okay, you know, Google.com. Terrific website if you haven't gone there. I was so confused because maybe, and maybe this is the case, and maybe I'm just reading the credit wrong. I could not find a good answer for this. I was convinced that Jane Levy was playing both Mia and the abomination is that person's face not mia because it says here that randall wilson played the oh. abomination well you know i they think his done? yes body. Sorry, Rachel. okay the body okay body okay. but i'm pretty sure it's her that's yeah, what i thought yeah. i think it was kind of like a zelda pet cemetery thing i see because he, he looked the abomination of mia looked taller yeah. And more built like a man to me. I, I yeah, thought, the, I, yeah, it didn't. He didn't have its chest. I can tell you that. Like, but, there's yeah. no, there's but no I still there. felt like I don't know why she was not credited as well as playing the abomination. I think there's two differences. I think there's one that you, she sees her evil twin, but then you see the abomination. Like even in the cutscene, you know, or not the cutscene, the opening scene when they're in the woods and she sees something down, you know, further further down. Yeah. I think that's the abomination. Okay, that yeah, is yeah. the 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 actor that you're talking about. Whereas like when she does see her evil twin and it, I believe it's her where okay, that's that the abominations are manifesting in her evil self, you know. Okay. Um, and then, even at the end though when you see the abomination up close and you see the face, it's her. Yeah. Right? So the I, face I'm, is her. Yeah. yeah. But, but she's technically giving the performance as the abomination as well. I'm not sure why she wasn't credited like that. It confused me. 
That's all I'm trying to say. And I found this Randall Wilson character is playing the, the, the it's, role. It's funny that you mention Pet Cemetery, Dan, because the the way I got from this is that it, the whole abomination felt like the Wendigo to me. Yeah. Oh, you're totally mm. right. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah. The abominations. Well, I'm, I'm, I'll say I have some thoughts. I'll save it when we get to the. Uh, special effects session but uh yeah even the way it emerges from the woods and is silhouetted and everything yeah i'm gonna say the rest of what i have to say about it for the in a couple categories but yeah it, it was it's interesting to me that in the book it's almost seen as this like cosmic deity but here it's pretty much just a manifestation of her of her drug addled self is like what i got from it right and what i felt was interesting is it wasn't just because i feel like in the other movies they keep referring to it as it won't let, it will not let us leave mm-hmm. it's going to get us but this it's him. It's like the, it's defined. The sex is defined as as him, as he. The abomination yeah. is going to kill us. I thought that was also interesting. interesting. Yeah, that is. Um, something else. I, I, this is such a good place to talk about it. Is the role that the book plays in this is different because we get a little more plot, I guess, from this. We find out that once the abomination has five souls, the skies will rain blood. The abomination will rise from hell. So obviously, it's more specific to not just the idea of the evil being released. It's specifically these five people have a part to play. And even some of the, I think all of the drawings in the book literally sync up with what happens to them. So again, I thought that was a nice little addition, a little little twist on what the, the book plays. How do you guys feel about I liked, that? I, I, like, I actually like that more literal uh, function of the book. Like the, the idea that, oh, they're, we're seeing them enact these kind of medieval slash demonic sacrifices um, mm-hmm. as opposed to, because I do think the rules get a little muddy in the first evil day. It's not a problem per se, but I like that there is a system that's being followed here. Once again, I don't think we need the, the scrawled, like <laughs> cut your face off or whatever. Or scalding water. Yeah. yeah. Or, or um, even water. though I know that was, well, it's interesting. We haven't really talked about this, this stinger in the beginning that they have, like the cold open of evil dead was the idea, I guess, just that she, that girl's possessed and following the same things. And the scrawls, I'm sure, were from her, from some other person yeah. who had been possessed before that. Um, so even even the scrawling that I'm, I have some negative feelings about does play into what they established. But anyway, yeah, the bottom line is I actually do like how it's a, a clear sense of what the book is trying to do and how the people are actually following it. Well, I like I think it's an Easter egg, too, because the... The, the, you know, oh, the, obviously the, the one hands. of the drawings yeah. is literally just oh, the yeah. poster from the It looks like yeah. the poster of her, which yeah. is funny because on the, on the poster, it's... It's like someone being drugged down, right? Where in, as this, in this I feel like it's there emerging and becoming a villain. Somebody smart might say it's like a subversion. <laughs> <laughs> I use that word so much, but it's I true use it when, all the time. When, but it isn't a subversion, guy. If you can do it, yeah, it's great. Okay. Something else I wanted to point out about the pro, the prologue of this movie. I guess what year do we think that this takes place? I know that, and that's where I couldn't tell. Well, the yeah, because the cats are still like hanging there mm-hmm. yeah. and like fleshy, and they're like it still smells like burning hair. So it feels like it has to have been somewhat recently. Also, it's like their family cabin. Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. So somebody, so, like yeah. all their stuff is there. So like, when was the last? I know like it. They make it clear that like it's been a minute since they've been there, and like, oh, mom would hate to see the cabin like this. But how long has it been? Like a few years, right? Like under 10 years. I would say it was probably like five years before. So 2008. 
Well, it, it kind of goes back they into were the original. celebrating uh, Obama had been elected. Yeah. They had that <laughs> in the news. Was, there, like, oh, jubilation. Yeah. Like, oh, I remember when, uh, you know. Um, hope, hope existed. No. Uh, like, oh, we're, I'm so excited. I hope. What do you think is going to win? No country for old men or there will be blood. It's yeah, they, they have the Oscars. argument for that. Well, if you look, you know, in the original one, they had the Hills Have Eyes poster. If you look closely, yeah. there's a poster for Paul Thomas Anderson's There Will Be Blood in the background. Um, <laughs> and there was blood. because and there was blood. Pour everywhere. No, I... I imagine it was relatively soon, uh, sooner than, you know, further away. Like I, 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 and I like that because if it was this sort of like 18th century thing, I don't know. I don't, we don't, I don't need that. Like it just, it, it, that's that to me, that feels stupid. Like if you're going, if you're going that far back and I like the fact that it was recent. Mm-hmm. And I also like the fact that like the original, it is kind of like, sort of questionable why they would go to this cabin like i mean what did they look it up like on you know fucking zoom.com or some shit like that where like they're i don't even know what i think zoom was around back then or you know you look at some place there like they they knew like oh yeah we got recommended this this cabin it's it's never really defined as to why they go to this cabin in the original Mm -hmm. evil dead it's like how did you find this place like and especially when you consider evil dead (laughs) 2 That the fact that it is Nobi's cabin and that he's been there, it makes absolutely no fucking sense why they go to the cabin in the original one. If you, well, yeah, this especially is a, when you consider Nobi's stuff. Well, this is a case so, of like if, if we start thinking about too much, then the entire series. And that's falls what apart, I love about you know it. I mean? Like exactly. I, that's why I, that's why I think is so much fun that you know they do give you some sort of they give you more definition than we ever did in the original ones, but it does kind of feel like a I don't know a subtle to pick tongue at, and cheek. You're giving us something to pick at. Yeah, you know yeah, I mean? and I I think well, that doing the no this is the version of the Nobi thing yeah. is just yeah. being able to show this sort of uh, opening the cold. It, open. It's like the thing you always talk about with the Dark Knight, right? Like obviously, I the Nolan tri- Batman trilogy I love, and I love that steeped in realism, and it does certain things so realistically. The problem with doing that with material that is based on a comic book or based on a supernatural horror movie is that then the nits do start to show a little bit more. You know yeah, what I mean? I because we're in a more realistic universe. You do start to think about that a little more. Not quite so bad here as in other films, but because the first three are just kind of playing so loosey goosey with timeline and world building and all that, you don't, in a weird way, you don't think about it as much. Whereas here, because they're doing their due diligence on, in so many aspects of the movie, you do start to think about like, well, wait, what's like the lore going on? And um, yeah, and like I said, it's not that big of a detractor for me, but it is something. Nah, it's just it kind of like, wait, what's going on here? Okay. Well, yeah. anybody out there, if you've got, editing function of ability on Wikipedia. Um, the plot for the Evil Dead 2013 opens with, the film opens with a teenage girl running through the woods until she is caught by two pursuing hillbillies. If you can go on there and edit it, so it now says the film opens in 2008 with a teenage <laughs> girl running through the woods until she is caught by two pursuing hillbillies. Let us know you've done it. Screenshot it and send it to us. We'd really appreciate it. We're, we're going to make a canon that this takes place. The prologue takes place five years before. It's time to move on to our next category, which I teased but minutes ago, and it's a category in which we talk about the cast of Evil Dead 2013, called Knights and Deadites. One by one, we will take you. <sighs> All right, so the first character we're going to talk about is David Allen, Mia's brother, who near the end I thought was going to be, at that point, kind of the Ash character, played by Shiloh Fernandez. A couple of little Easter eggs. It's not really an Easter egg, though, if, you, if it's blatant, right? I'm talking about when she he gives Mia the necklace. Oh, yeah. yeah. That resembles the necklace yeah. that Ash gives. It's more like homage at that point. Yeah, yeah it's I mean, like, it even hey, looks yeah. like the necklace. A nod. <laughs> exactly. A, a, a nod, polite yeah. nod. Polite <laughs> nod. 
here is my, this is not a hot take. We like to sometimes say, what if we were in these circumstances? With the way that I view, you know, the non-existence of ghosts, I would be David. Because I know, because there's so much stuff that happens in this movie that he, and he refuses to believe it. He refuses to believe that it's demons. Honestly, that would have been me too. I would have been like, there's no way my sister's possessed. There's no way that your girlfriend got possessed or your friend got possessed and like you had to smash her head in because she was possessed by a demon. I would always go with the quote unquote rational. This is not happening. So my question to the three of you in terms of your stances on, you know, the supernatural, how long would it have taken before you thought that there was something genuinely up supernatural wise? Rachel, we'll start with you. How long would it have taken you to be like, Oh my God, there, there are demons. Well, after they find the book, <laughs> you've been like, bam, this is a demonic <laughs> like, book. Like if something like whatever happened outside after they found the book, I'd be like, that's it. I'm out. It's all it would take um, you. You've been, that's it. I'm getting in yeah, one of these two cars. I'm you, getting you out of here. You open the book. Like I'm done. Like I believe you. But I, I think that that's part of why they have that whole mom thing. Cause I keep thinking, mm-hmm. it's like, why is the mom yeah. plot line like even an issue? Like it could easily just be taken out and it would be fine. But I think it's that doubt that you were talking about early, Mike. The fact that he's seeing his sister, she's, you know, going through withdrawals and then this family history. So it's all playing a part in like why he doesn't believe her. And or maybe even he doesn't want to admit that maybe he thinks he's going crazy if he starts to believe that there yep. are demons oh, yeah. and stuff. Yeah, that adds maybe. another little wrinkle. Dan, how long mm-hmm. would have taken you? When you see those fucking cats, man. <laughs> like I know that's <laughs> not even supernatural. Yeah. I would just be like, hey, to say Jordan Peele, nope, right? Uh, no, for real. I <laughs> I think if I if she was exhibiting those symptoms before, well, I guess she is, right? Because yeah. she is she yeah, having her yeah. first. Yeah, she's yeah. freaking out. Okay, that's a fair enough. I was going to say because she we see her having withdrawal actual withdrawal symptoms and then it's mm-hmm. the cats. But even with that, I think that'd be enough for me. I'm like there are like hundreds of dead cats in this basement. No, no, no. And th- and then of course once the actual supernatural stuff started happening, I, I think I would be it would be confirmed for me. I would be just like get, the, get the wheelbarrow, get the get the garden shears, let's cut these things yeah, down. Let's build a raft for her to get across that. Let's move on. Swollen River. Um yeah, I uh, I I would I too am. I'm a skeptic when it comes to paranormal. I'm, I'm no Dan Aykroyd. Let's say that. Um, and uh, <laughs> Crystal School Caffrey. Crystal School. Um, that would be enough to convince me. So if we saw the cats and then we found that book, I'd be like, "All right, we're we're done." Uh, check, please. <laughs> Mike, what about you? How long before you're uh, like, "Well, there's something you know, fucked up going on here." Fortunately, I would have been out of there already because, uh, as you know, I'm uh, Bubble Boy Rothman. And uh, the minute we walked up to the cabin, I'd be like, well, uh, let's just say my skin's already itching and um, I'm starting to get asthma. And uh, so I'm going to take the, the, what is it? They had the the station wagon. Mm -hmm. I'm going to take the station wagon before Mia fucking plunges it in the pond and I'm out. So uh, I'll see you guys later. I I would be like the guy that's in um, cabin fever. He doesn't drink the water. I'd be like, I'm out. So I'll, I'll be back pick you guys up later so I, I would avoid all of this and so i'd win so you know you, you, so you'd be sean <laughs> I'd win. from boy meets world isn't that his name no no the blonde guy no, from uh it's super the guy troopers. from super troopers yeah, yeah. oh yeah. but then he gets yeah, yeah, yeah. shot at the end i mean i'd get shot fun. at the end when i'd yeah. give you like you know i won but uh hey well, hey, better I, to get shot than uh possessed by a demon your nail gun severed. to the yeah, yeah exactly God. so yeah. but i mean all joking aside Hands down, the, the second I see the cats in the 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 book, I'm I'm abso- I'm absolutely Lou Taylor Pucci here. I'm like, no, this this is clearly happening here. You know, I don't think a fucking illness makes us want to tear our face off. <laughs> like, I don't know. I've seen some crazy things. You know, I, I uh, 
it would take a minute for me to think that there were demons in the world. And honestly, if, if that ever happened where that happened to me, I think my brain would probably break. My analytical brain would not be able to take it. I probably would just have a connection. Cannot compute. And cannot compute. And just <laughs> oh my God, Justin turned his face off. And Error, you're not even possessed. It would just be like, oh, Justin just died immediately because everything he ever believed has is, is been ripped out. Much like tongues and cheeks are being ripped out of people's faces. So you'd be like the guy in Mulholland Drive who like passes out uh, when, he when he sees goes the, the back and, and winkies. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Ugh. Speaking of freaky things, am I right? We, we need uh, to we need to mention that like I mean David already gets points in in the in my book because uh, he shared his real life name shares a name with the greatest dog in the world Shiloh <laughs> so uh, just have uh, to yeah, say right. uh, love I thought you were talking about Shiloh. another dog Eric is played by Lou Taylor Pucci Pucci oh, from Pucci, Simpsons yeah. my other favorite dog <laughs> yeah. no but something That's else great. I thought that was interesting here and I wonder if we were if this was if this had meaning or if we are unfairly assigning meaning to it as we are wont to do on the Halloweenies. In the final act, when David's running around, he goes to the shed. We see the chainsaw, mm-hmm. but David does not take the chainsaw. Mm-mm. And I wonder if that sealed his fate. I wonder if he had mm. taken the chainsaw and become "quote unquote" Ash. We got a different ending to this uh, this movie. So, well, Saw's family, Am I right? You know, the, the buzz s- is the back. Saw's family. <laughs> yeah. The buzz is back. <laughs> Oh my Speaking god! Is that the new tagline for the new Texas? <laughs> that was, I think that was the uh, Texas Chainsaw Two tagline, right? But and then Saw's family's leather is the third yeah. one, I think. And of course, right? back yeah. back to the shack is from Caddyshack Two, which we talked about earlier on and we the podcast. Yeah, and Weezer, let's be real, but we haven't. Uh, we don't want to talk about that particular song, which is easily the worst song on that album. On that album, but yeah. that's their best album in the past uh, since uh, Pinkerton. Yep. You argue past maybe 27 years and that album is uh basically the fate of mia here well everything will be all right in the end so um. that's right (laughs) fingers crossed okay we gotta talk about poochie himself uh lou taylor poochie that is who plays eric this is the guy who sees the you know the hefty bag wrapped barbed wire wrapped book and it's just like i'm gonna open this fucking thing up and i'm gonna read it and and listen like i said I, i do the same thing i'm opening up that book I'm, I'm, I'm ripping through it. I'm going to check it out. I, I've got some notes on this poor bastard of a character. Oh, man. Listen to what this guy goes through. Yeah. It's... And this kind of harkens back to the fun creepiness of the earlier ones because it is so outrageous after a certain point. Deliberately so, I believe. Mm-hmm. Stabbed with glass repeatedly and stabbed in the face close to his eye, if not in the eye, with a needle by a, poles- poles- a possessed Olivia. Shot several times with nails. Oh, like up to 12 times or something. Yeah, a dozen times by Natalie. His hand is also mutilated by Natalie with a crowbar. Mm -hmm. He's stabbed by Mia with a box cutter, and that ultimately, that's the. Look, we we gotta go. He's done. He's dead. Hit on the head (laughs) with a crowbar, too. Yeah. Yeah, I said, oh, his hand and his head was, yeah, Yeah. hit the head. Also delivers a quote. That sounds very much like a quote that Ash gives in Evil Dead 2. He says, she just cut her fucking arm off. Does that sound fine? Yeah. That's something Ash says in the mirror in Evil Dead 2. Does that sound fine? I wonder if that was a deliberate. I'll say this right now. I love Mia. But if I'm being honest, like Eric's my favorite character in this movie. I, I just I, I I love I love Mia, so it's kind of unfair. It's like when I say like the Beatles or Seinfeld is my favorite show or my favorite band. It's like obviously Mia is going to win here, but I think Eric is great. I think he's such a good conduit for the audience of us kind of figuring out what's going on in the cabin, us being skeptical, us saying the things that need to be said. 
I love that he's gone through the ringer like here. For me, he's felt so much like Scotty. And he even looks like Scotty in like the the shirt and spirit of kind of his character itself. And I like that. And I actually read that like uh, Lou Taylor Pucci wanted to wear old style glasses and long hair as a tribute to like the early 80s. And hey, well, look, that man, kind of confused you me. It. At first, I thought maybe this movie takes place in the 80s because of his wardrobe <laughs> for a little, a little bit. Yeah. No one else has it. Like everyone else looks pretty modern except exactly. for him. So I'm pretty sure like Fetty Alvarez is like, hey, you're fucking up my uh, my look here. But it worked for me. I I just th- I think he's so great, and I love a character who just I don't know. He's just he's kind of very self aware about the situation. Like I love at the end when it's just like I think death would probably be better for me right now. Well, and when he's a science feel. teacher, right? Yeah, like yeah. so he's very logical. So he's looking at this book. And going through it and like analyzing it and taking notes and translating. And so it's that interesting play of like him being the logical one. Yeah. Thinking that this is impossible. And then it ends up like really ending up like blowing up in his face and blowing up his face with a bunch of nails. (laughs) (laughs) Nails and crowbars and needles and God box cutters and everything else. God bless them. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing that works about this movie is. Like Dan, you mentioned earlier, you know that that first one. It's not like everybody's giving these Academy Award winning performances or even have these incredibly drawn out uh, characters. But everybody is good in this movie for what they're given, and that's not supposed to be pejorative at all. I think that everybody does good with the the work that they're given to to perform. What do you think about that, Daniel? No, I, I completely. Well, that was like challenging <laughs> me. <laughs> we hey, think about that, think, Dan? No, yeah, no, totally. I mean, and I will say. Um, I mean, not to jump around too much with the characters, but I think as we go down the tiers, they kind of become less discernible in a way. Like, I'll be honest, Natalie, for me, I I feel like I remember her, how she dies, which is horrible, and how it connects to the yeah. first couple of movies. But as far as being a character, I, I feel like once we get away from the brother and sister duo, okay, we have, you know, we have uh, Eric who has a distinguished look about him and kind of a distinguished personality. But then once we start going below that, I feel like it, the other two just get kind of, um, I remember them for their sequences more than their characters. It's but we, we talked about the, that in Ash versus evil dead, where yeah. there's a character who as a human is not very interesting, but once they become a demon, the performance itself even is much more memorable oh, totally. and impactful. Well, let's talk about one of those people now. It's yeah. Jessica Lucas as Olivia and she's really good. Like she's a great. I'm not knocking their acting. Well, I think it's what you, this is more what just you like said, Justin. what does yeah, the character it. serve, right? Yeah, their, their roles are more functional versus exactly. They're like auxiliary like characters, engaging emotional characters that and I mean, attached to. There's no greater function than the fact that she is there, not only because she's a friend of Mia's, but because she's a registered nurse, right? And she's able to treat Mia as she goes through the withdrawals, much like she would be treated at an actual clinic. She also acts kind of as the person who much like David, just does not believe anything she says because of what she's experienced with Mia. She's the one that has a counter for everything Mia's saying. Like, she's been through it before. She's heard similar things. But her fate is maybe the most memorable oh, scene dude. in some ways. I know what it is, Carving too. up her face. Yeah, go ahead. It's, there's the carving the face, which is horrific in itself. But I'm also a big fan of in horror movies where everything, especially supernatural ones, where the means of death are becoming so extreme all around when what they throw in there is like actually a very blunt way you could die in real life, like mm-hmm. getting smacked. Like I, when I think about toilet seats or the tops of toilet lids, I get really mm-hmm. freaked out. Cause they're so heavy and they really are. He could kill her like that without any super like, supernatural going on. So you get this sort of like really freaky stuff that could never happen in real life mixed with this. Oh my God, that's just a whole, like bl- blunt force trauma always just freaks me out anyway. So that weirdly to me is like 
one of the most grisly scenes, even though you don't see much when he when he hits her in the head. I mean, you do afterwards. It just unnerves me, like having that in the middle of everything else going on. Yeah, Rachel, I'm not sure about you, but for me, when she turns around and you see what she's done to her cheek, that's when I realized, oh, this is not going to be some watered-down 2013 horror movie. What was oh, your same. reaction to that? Yeah. Oh, no. When that happened, the first time I saw it, I was like, oh, my God. Like, okay, Oof. all right. Like, this is what we're in for. And I, But I did love that because I just appreciate just how intense they go with all of the gore and the Mm -hmm. kills and the blood. Like it's incredible to me. Like I love it so much. It's a big choice and I appreciate that. I think that with Olivia too, that's the first, like if I'm right, like that's actually the big turning point because that's kind of when they realize that like, oh, this is not just a Mia issue. This is like something is unequivocally without a doubt going on uh, although bless his heart david and probably myself is like uh, i don't know oh <laughs> you no, know? you're right when they say like when she, oh when she threw up on her maybe it like the virus Mental, yes. like got into yeah, her yeah that's what i would have yeah, been like i'd be like i don't know she's just sick with something she's our friend as ash would have said in the first one uh <laughs> mike yeah with olivia what, what do you think about that sequence in the bathroom because it, it kind of like the just... shelly scene it's once the sequence happens She's gone. It's the it's the John Hurt and Alien, you know. Mm. It's like, all right, here wow. we go. It's it's over. It's it, all bets are off. We can't. There's the point of no return, and uh, and I love it. I mean, it, it's just they ramp it up in so many ways. Like just when you think, like, oh man, this is this is as bad as it's gonna get. Nope. Then you have you know. <laughs> fucking uh, Eric being stabbed in the eye for the most part mm-hmm. with a needle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and then has to bludgeon her after that, like as what as Caffrey was discussing, which is which is surprisingly, yeah, I agree with you, Dan. Like it is one of those things where it's like, yeah, we just went through that the ringer with all that shit, and yet being hit with the porcelain Oof. Fr- fragment yeah. mm. is the thing that really does make me go, oh god. Like and that's it's also the thing, yeah. <laughs> well, it's also because at that point it really is the point of no return because you've just killed your girlfriend. Well, yeah, and, it, and it's done. a it's a unaffected, non possessed person killing, yes, somebody, in the you know, way. like somebody else. Yeah. So it's not like a possessed person killing somebody where there's something going on with them. It's the fact that he's normal, quote yeah. unquote. So just that the fact that he had to, yeah, he had to do that to his his girlfriend. Well, and like that also kind of calls back to what happens in the first one. The original mm-hmm. is when Ash, when well, Ash, when when um, Scotty has to kill his girlfriend. Yeah. And that's the most disturbing thing is when you, sh- you keep seeing him, you know, chop off her leg and her arms, and that's also extremely well, grotesque. It's, it's that thing in any in any of these type of movies where it's like I keep saying point of return, but it really is that where it's like, all right, well, we can't just get in the car and leave now. Like now we have to like we have to figure this out. We there's have to body. solve this. <laughs> like there's a fucking body. Like, and that's the thing I always think about in these movies, especially the first one. When Ash wanders out, even if the evil force doesn't come and get him, like he, you're fucked. Like you're mm-hmm. absolutely fucked. Like there's nothing you can do. I mean, I know Ash is evil that makes a joke of it, and he's like, oh yeah, you know, like Ashy Slashy, you know, kind of creepy guy in town. But like, no, in real life, you'd be fucked. Like you're going to jail. Like there, there's no way, or there's just no ifs, ands, and buts about it. Like it's over. And so in that respect, it's like you almost go, oh, well, you know, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll die too. <laughs> like I think something else that also. St- by the way, folks at home, if you're hearing what sounds like um, fucking Gulf War outside right now, the, yeah, like, yeah, I know it's, it's ridiculous. Schwarzkopf has announced, you know, let's 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 fight off against Iraq here. 
Yeah. Uh, we've got an Aaron Waters show going on in Chicago this weekend, uh, so don't I be afraid. I'll be Zoom, fine. So. There's nobody's about to bomb my uh, apartment that I know of. But what I wanted to make a comp here is that when we talked about, once again, the season's past and something that separates Evil Dead, when we talk about the gore and the violence of those movies, it's usually done by the antagonists on the protagonists. But when we think about all the gore and the gross-out scenes in Evil Dead, most of the time, it's what the protagonists are doing to the antagonists. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like Eric on Olivia. Mm-hmm. In those movies, when Ash, how he disposes of the deadites, when Scotty is killing Shelley. Like we usually think about what, what's happening to the, the villains by the heroes as opposed to the other way around. Oh, interesting uh, um, compared. Oh, wait. Sorry, everybody. Once again, the, uh, they've come to get me. And Dude, I can't. I can't hear missed. any of it. I can't hear. Maybe can't, it's okay. Uh, it's good you can't hear any of that. So maybe that's the need, miracle uh, of Garage Band. People think I'm losing should, my mind. We should like, add some effects in there, so you don't seem crazy. <laughs> okay, we, let's talk about our next character, though. And I do say character politely. It's uh, Elizabeth Blackmore as Natalie. I guess it's David's girlfriend. Mm-hmm. This is an example, I think, of somebody who is far more memorable once she is infected. We mentioned earlier on that sequence yeah. of her using the. Uh, Electric knife on her arm is, ugh, Jesus Christ, that mm-hmm. is maybe one of the standout moments of the movie. And then once she becomes possessed, what I forgot is the fact that you hear the nail gun going off before she enters the room because she's, so she's shooting herself in the face with it. Nah. That adds a little something to it as well. Uh, any, any takes, though, on, on the performance? Or is this more of just like a, she's literally there? To become yeah. possessed and have a like cool I said, sequence. She, no, yeah, no, 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 knock no against the yeah. actor at all. She's she's great. Uh, it's just I, I don't think they give her a ton to do. When one of the movie's strengths is that, like the first Evil Dead, is that things get going pretty quick. I yeah. mean, they show yeah. up at the cabin, we establish what's going on, boom, boom, boom. So it doesn't leave a ton of room for development, which I love because I, I, God, I, I like a patient horror movie also. But man, I. I I'm into the lean 90 minute thing, especially nowadays. And so this I isn't think prom a, night where it takes an hour to really get going. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. And so I think an unfortunate byproduct of it though, is that maybe a couple of the supporting characters get, you know, short shrifted a little bit, but not a deal breaker for me. I just, I do appreciate how, just how like sweet she is. And like, she's seems like very like kind to Mia, like sweet when she's like first there. I know. Yeah. Like I do I do appreciate that they don't make her out to be like a bitch or a bimbo yeah, or like any of that. Like she's just I mean, she's pretty innocuous and just kind of there in the background, but she seems pleasant enough as a person. Well, uh, but she is far more memorable once she starts uh, getting a little graphic. Well, that sort of innocence is kind of even exacerbated the fact that like she doesn't need to be there. Like she's only there just yeah. because David, you know, just, they, they've just started dating. They kind of, you know, bring in there, introduce into the group and all. And it kind of sucks for her because, and that was what Sammy was saying. It's like, man, like out of all these characters, it's, it's the worst for her. Cause she, she really just didn't have to be there. She's <laughs> like, tagged along. Yeah. She's tagged along in support. <laughs> and she's also just David's girlfriend. So it's just like, yeah, wrong place, wrong time, you know, really sucks. Mm-hmm. And she gets a fucking awful fate. And I will say though, as a deadite, so haunting. I, I we, mm-hmm. we we talked about Resident Evil and Silent Hill before. She really does feel like a character in those in those games, um, because Jesus Christ. Um, sorry, the planes are just insane right oh, now. Yeah, you and me, we're under attack. You Fucking guys sound Christ. like lunatics because I can't hear I, shit. I can't so. hear anything. Well, that's so funny. People Seriously, home, Mike, it's, Maybe we're getting possessed. Are you, are you now like, there's a, in the mirror literally just set off a, a smiling car alarm. alarm. Chicago, yeah. 
God, this fucking Aaron C. Show. I love it. Like they were thinking, like you know, we, we've, we've had a pretty rough uh, few years. Why don't we have it where we have uh, you know planes flying over and just wait, put jet fuel in the air? It's well, Mike, great. and anyway. I do have to, I do have to apologize because I forgot to submit to our local aldermen and our government. We were recording this weekend. Yeah, we well, they should have fucking known. <laughs> they should have People fucking known. Like, what are they fucking talking about? Uh, but yo, when she's when she's stumbling around though and has the nail gun, I love that you brought that up, Justin. That like you hear the sound first because mm-hmm. when you hear that, and they kind of allude to the nail gun early on, it, it is like a nice callback, and you're like, oh shit, that's coming. And that whole sequence right there is for me the most harrowing sequence of the entire movie. Even even counting Mia pulling her fucking arm off, like did that. Uh, What's that rule, you know, like if you show a gun in the first act, it has check to go off in gun. the third. Check off nail yeah, gun. They, it's the check off nail gun. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. This is what I love about horror movies. I was, I've been thinking about this a lot because I do like my prestige and highfalutin classic foreign films. But I'll tell you what, it's great that you can have an ensemble where a character doesn't work. Maybe like the character of Olivia, the character of Natalie, the character of Eric, you know, in a drama, they're kind of flat characters. But what's great about this compared to something like, you know, if Natalie, this is a really, let's go off, off the wall here. If Natalie Portman's character doesn't work in Cold Mountain, he doesn't have the luxury of becoming an interesting demon halfway through the movie. You know what I mean? But that's the <laughs> yeah. great thing about horror movies. I don't need these characters to be Oscar worthy, Oscar worthy, Robert Town wrote this characters. <laughs> I don't, that's not what they're there for. I'm more about the, the atmosphere and the action that's going on yeah. than I am mm-hmm. about Oh, this line read from Jessica Lucas isn't uh, really, you know, you know, William Goldman isn't isn't approving this line read right now. Like, I don't care. Just give me some good horror, you know. And, and she it's wins. like henchmen in like eighties action movies. Yeah. Yes. It's like they're just there to look great and, <laughs> and have get the shit great deaths. Yeah, <laughs> it's fine. You know, let's, let's, let's all cool. Gene Sisko, cool down. I'm, I'm I think she wins. Past, she wins the Dada Award here, though. For me, it's just mm-hmm. the whole way, the the it kind of screams into the whole um, what Kyle Reese says about the Terminator. It's just like, you can't reason with him. He mm-hmm. won't stop until he rips your fucking heart out. Like that's what this dead eye, you know, her dead eye does is that she just keeps going. She's going to keep shooting the nails. She's going to keep shooting the nails. She's going to hit the fucking crowbar. And the way that she just keeps walking around again, like a character in resident evil silent Hill until you stop it yourself is so scary to me. And especially the fact that it's some someone that you love and someone that you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, because I mean, I feel like Raimi plays it a little bit more where they bounce in and out and they're a little bit, you know, they're laughing and they're having fun and you can kind of slap them around a little bit, which he, Ash does. But in this one, no, it's, this is like Pet cemetery territory. Mike, as, would as you like, say all bets are off? All bets are off, you know? <laughs> you know? Look, life is hard and dangerous. And sometimes... You just got chop off somebody's head to survive. We are eating a giant shit sandwich right now. Are you good down here for a minute while I try and unfuck the situation? I got it. Go. Yeah, this category, famous category on the, on, on the podcast networks, we're going to talk about our favorite kill of this movie. I'll just start off. I, I, there's some great demises in this movie. I just think it's kind of a cheat. I do think the prolonged assault and eventual death of Eric is what stands out to me. Yeah, because I every agree. time he's I attacked, agree. you think he's dead now. And he, mm-hmm. the poor bastard keeps surviving. I liked that through line. So that's, what's, that's what always stood out to me. Any other nominees or any other winners here? Uh, Rachel? Yeah. The abomination, I think, mm, yeah. when she chainsaws him and mm-hmm. you get the both halves 
of its face. Oh, yeah. And the eye is blinking. And then it sinks into the ground. Just all of those effects, I think, are incredibly well executed and highly effective. I I loved it. Highly effective. Uh-huh. Uh, Mike, what about you? No, it's it's. I mean, it's you said it best. Uh, for me, it's like uh, Eric is that the slow kill. Mm. It is a joke at some point, but it it's so it just feels so spiritually aligned with the original film. That because like it, you think about Scotty and how he keeps coming back, <laughs> it's like it's exactly <laughs> that. Uh, but I do agree with the abomination, Rachel, because like uh, watching that and like knowing that it's it's literally dragged into hell and then it just becomes a ground again is so fucking cool. Like that whole effect yeah. is awesome. But my my man Eric, I love him. God bless him, Poochie. Dan, what about you? Because I know you're about to we're about to sub. A segue into something you're going to be talking about, but what about you? What's yeah. your favorite uh, kill in this movie? Yeah, I, th- I think Eric because it just feels so unique and in line with what the older movies are doing. Um, if I was going to pick just like an isolated thing, I, I think I would say Olivia in the bathroom. I mean, the, mm-hmm. that that almost feels like a mini gauntlet, like kind of the method or the the uh, everything that Eric has to undergo, but like kind of squeezed into the space of five minutes. Well, it's always good when there's a variety of answers here. It just proves that the movie worked, right? As opposed to us all saying, well, it's obviously, you know, yeah. A, and that's it. There's nothing else that works. Yeah. So there's, yeah. there's even favorite, more you could talk about, you know? Least favorite is the dog. I'm sorry. We haven't mentioned uh, that. Grandpa, I know. Yeah, Ooh, too. I, I always forget about that. Yeah. Like, I, know, I hate dude, it. Dude, between I, the only reading, <laughs> the only good Indians, reading from Buick 8 and watching <laughs> yeah. this, I need, I need a break from I'm highly horror sensitive with right dead now. dogs. Mm. It's just too much right now. Yeah, too much. Yeah. Well, you should check out. There's this great book called Needful Things by Stephen King. If there's oh no, God. I trust me, no dogs grows. are killed in that. Check out Where the Red Fern Grows. That's yeah, a great book for great. that. Yeah. My Dog Skip. <laughs> great movie. Dan, I am dying to know. I am dying to know about the special effects in this movie now, of course. Uh, years ago for our Nightmare on Elm Street season, we would uh, make fun of Freddy's dialogue in Freddy's Dead when he's playing video games. And he would call it, you know, great graphics, but we're not going to do that this time. We've got a special name for this category for Evil Dead, for 2013 Evil Dead. The category is called Great Graphics. <laughs> what do you know? The beat my score. <laughs> I got worried old. for a second. Never I, lo- I always love hearing you do that. I never. So, Dan, yeah, talk about these special effects in this movie because they are reading reading about them especially it's a, yeah. it's a pretty remarkable achievement yeah it's a um and it's not like there's tomes and tomes and tomes and tomes written on them but i do think they stand out for the fact i mean look it's the thing we always champion on the show it's i mean it is mostly in camera practical effects yeah. it's a little bit of cgi i think especially in the beginning with some of the fire but honestly this we're in this sweet spot where it wasn't so where Hollywood wasn't being so reliant on CGI blood. So we just get gallons and gallons. I mean, we get literal raining from the sky with it. And, you know, I think nowadays like in shit like Jurassic world, like, Oh yeah, we, we've threw some practical effects in here and it's like one shot of a, yeah, dinosaur. It's a close up of some like clone made up dinosaur or some shit. Yeah, exactly. But here, I mean, it, you really do feel the practicality of all these effects. There's a 2013 article on Dread Central where the writer got to go uh, to the set. And, you know, in the spirit of Joe Bob Briggs, I'm going to because there wasn't really a head special effects person here. It looked like the production designer, Roger Gillies or Gilly. I don't know if I'm saying that right. G-I-L-L-I-E-S. He was the one kind of 
touring the writer around and it seemed like he was shepherding everything through. I don't know if they have like a Greg Nicotero or anything like that on this, but anyway, he was giving the tour on this and, and talking about some of the special effects, obviously talking about wanting to be true to the, I mean, I don't know. Would you guys say like the original evil dead movies? I feel like they're this watershed moment in practical effects because yeah. a, they're not expensive mm-hmm. and they look good and it just showed what you, how you could do a lot with a little and you know, every writer of every remake says that they're going to honor the original in some kind of way. But I feel like these really do. They don't go into the full Looney Tunes mode of the second and third movies with the practical effects. Oh, but at the no. end of the day, these are just really good, grisly practical effects. So anyway, as he was touring this writer throughout the set, he pointed out that even the cabin itself could actually move. The ceilings could lower and the floors could... Like, it it was almost this kind of mechanical house. So I think that really, really shows through. Uh, The two people he introduced the writer to were uh, Roger Murray and Jane O'Kane, who were in charge of both hair and makeup and the prosthetics. And actually, too, when I do think about the film... I feel like the, maybe the prosthetics and the makeup are what pop out immediately. I mean, you have like yeah. the, you have the tree, the weird worm vine thing and some other stuff. But I, I think about the way she looks as uh, the abomination and the, mm-hmm. the way that uh, she looks when she's, you know, cutting her, her mouth open. Like, I just think it's really, really, really good makeup work. I don't know if you guys feel similarly when you, when you think about like the standout effects in this film. I, I thought even watching the trailer, I, I was convinced that the cutting of the tongue was CGI. Like I, yeah. I, I couldn't believe they pulled yeah. it off. But yeah, then doing my own research too, I read that yep. Alvarez was very insistent that just about everything you see is not CGI. Yeah. It's all practical effects. And this was produced by a Sam Raimi independent studio, Ghost House Productions, and TriStar Pictures. If they can pull off having practical effects in a movie with a $27 million budget, I don't understand why... Marvel has to shoot everything in Georgia. No, I'm not kidding. Yeah, no. Um, but no, no it's honestly, true. it's kind it's true. of true, right? Like these studios, the Universals of the world, the Warner Brothers of the world, they've got all this money. Well, maybe fucking Warner Brothers doesn't have money anymore if they're canceling movies because of taxes. <laughs> but I don't understand why they do not lean more into the practical effects and the tangible effects that will, for me at least, I'm sure other people will resonate more strongly mm. than even the best CGI can. I and I, I that's I, I the thing, know. man. I don't think it. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I'm not a filmmaker, but I don't think it costs that much more. Maybe there's more manpower involved, I guess. But, I think it's a uh, time thing, especially. I was gonna say it's front end cost versus back end. Like mm-hmm. you think about, like think about resetting yeah, all of these scenes. Exactly. Yeah, that, that's think about point. like, so yeah, something didn't work right. All right, let's clean up all of these the gallons of fake blood. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like Jesus. One uh, real quick, just to speak to like where the CGI is. I'm assuming it's more in touching up things, like when we see the tree vines, right? Like I think th- those are actual practical devices. I'm sure they maybe use CGI to if they wanted to make the slime look a little bit blacker, a little bit shinier. Yeah, that's um, the one thing. Maybe looked a little CGI. But yeah, but... just a t- yeah. But the rest of it, I mean, really, I mean like I said, I, I think the sky is right. I mean, they were just dousing the set with blood, fake blood yeah. at the end. I mean, something that was interesting with the, ma- the making of the, the book of the dead is that they actually didn't have the rights to use the face from the original. Uh, like that's copyrighted. Oh, and honestly, I'm assuming I don't, I couldn't find this, but I'm assuming it's copyrighted because of all the weird DVD release issues around like that. Like I, th- I think that the, what you guys showed that, like Anchor Bay you owns have. it. Yeah, <laughs> no, for real. I think that I'm assuming. I mean, it's a likeness, so I'm assuming they had to license that in some kind of way, so they couldn't use that for this. I mean, they still make it look awesome. Mm. I love the way the book looks in this. And they said they compensated for that by making the illustration so detailed, making the barbed wire. But yeah, you could, they couldn't use that face. Which it's I'm weird that they could use the artwork from the original 
you know, poster, but they couldn't use yeah. the, the I book think, of the yeah, day. I, the I don't know, man. I feel like the marketing merchandising for this movie is just like, or not, not just this movie, the whole series in general is like, yeah, all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, something I was curious about was that, the, so Gillies was saying that the effect that was the most complicated and that took the most effects artists was the abomination. But that was interesting to me because I didn't think, I didn't think it looked like that challenging of an effect, and it just looked like the face makeup. But I, I don't know if any of y'all had insight. Well, do they mean the that. demise of the abomination? That's like, what chainsaw, like the chainsaw, maybe because you see the then... the skin fold up, and yeah. I'm sure there were hydraulics and puppetry and everything involved. Yeah, he. I looked. I looked more for that, and I couldn't find anything. But um, I, I would have to assume that because I feel like the prosthetics themselves. I don't think it would involve. I mean, it's it's putting her face on that male performer but that was just interesting to me and i and i actually read that before i watched the movie so i had wondered if i was kind of waiting almost like oh maybe there's some huge effect that i I don't remember at the end but uh yeah i thought that was interesting but yeah so i mean i really putting its money where its mouth is in terms of like actually using practical effects on like a lot of what we see today but if you got what do you guys have a favorite special effects uh, moment i mean there certainly are a lot of them it's pretty non-stop once they get to the cabin I've got mine, but yeah. Mike, do you, uh, anything stand out that you can, I mean, this is a pretty standout movie for effects, but does anything really, uh, stick with you after you're done watching the movie? It's the whole nail effects gun. the nail gun sequence. It's nail just, gun. it's, it's so, it's so well done. I, I feel every one of those shots mm. and I hate watching it, but I also love it at the same time. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. just, it's just so gruesome. That's the best horror experience you can possibly have. Yeah, pretty much. Rachel, what about you? Buckle up. I mean, blood rain. I feel like it's like they keep like building. It's like just when you think like, oh, God, that, you know, oh, cutting her mouth open. That's disgusting. Oh, cutting her arm off. Like, that's gross. Oh, yeah, Eric. And then, yeah, this blood rain. I mean, I love it in Blade, too. I guess I just really just want (laughs) blood raining down from the ceilings at all times. But, yeah. And then, so oh, no. I just <laughs> don't. You just compared Rachel to Harry. No, Knowles? she said no, no, no. no she, she said Blade also. Not Blade Two. It's Blade Two. Sorry, that's what, that's, that's what Rachel's Twitter profile. The, the modern day Harry Knowles. Harry Knowles. Rachel great. Reeves. Thanks. Oh, God. I just think it's just such an incredible way to cap off this continuous escalation, and it's also like really empowering and memorable. Mm. Like it's just such a memorable scene. I love right before that, the fire on the tree as well, which might be fake, but it looks great anyway. Yeah. I think for me, it might be the simplest compared to some of the other incredible stuff that goes on, but it is her cutting her tongue down the middle. Oh, God. Like, yeah. And it's close up. And the fact that I couldn't believe it was real and the fact that they pulled it off and it was practical, that it really is uh, an incredible uh, yeah. effect right there. I, my, yeah, I think mine's gross. the... The arm, the arm cutting, I mean, the, just the, oh, yeah. and uh. the way that that blood looks different than the rest of the blood in the movie, it's almost like bright red arterial blood. Um, yeah, but anyway, it's a listen, all you gore hounds out there, this is a special effects extravaganza. <laughs> if you Dan want Caffrey your, says, <laughs> check it all out, you gore hounds. Yeah, um, but yeah, any, any other? Did anyone else have anything else they wanted to uh, talk about the special effects? There, I, I, the the Dread Central article. There's a series of them of set visits, and there's one that focuses on special effects. I wish I almost wish there was more written on some of the specifics of it, but I, I couldn't find it. Well, hopefully of it, so. we can. You know, next year's ten year anniversary, so hopefully there'll be a little bit more. Uh, yeah. Somebody'll look back on us a little bit more introspectively. It is kind of telling. Our biggest knock against the first season of Ash vs. Evil Dead, which is only, what, two, three years after this movie came out, yeah. is all the CGI, yeah. which they kind of rectified in seasons two and three, actually. I know this. There's not that much. It's a lot more practical. But look, go practical. I understand shortcuts. I understand time. But 
it's worth it in the end. I do think it's worth it in the end. If you put in that work, people are going to talk about it more favorably years down the line. That's my, that's my two cents to the, the Zaslavs of the world. Pony up. It's worth it. Uh, well, let's uh, head on down. We got a car outside. Hope it still runs. It's the Delta. We're going to hop in and give our final thoughts. What the hell was that? Are you trying to kill us? Hey, don't blame me. Just steering wheel. Damn thing jerked right out of my hand. You can't understand that I had this thing in for a tune-up yesterday, and they said they'd go over everything. Yeah, well, you better take it back, because the damn thing don't work. The only thing that does work is this lousy horn. All right, so I believe this is one to five chainsaws. Is that correct? Am I, am I remembering this correctly? Yes, it is. Okay, well, no. Mike, start it off. Well, I think if you look back at the original film, you know, the premise of five friends heading to the cabin, evil ensues, uh, that connect the dots implicity is certainly catered to its overall legacy. You know, it's a timeless pitch that I think affords new generations to kind of skew the modern tropes of, uh, you know, things that kill movies like today, like cell phones. Um, but <laughs> I think it also allows for all kinds of plug and play, which to their credit, Alvarez, uh, Sayaguz and Diablo Cody capitalize on by injecting the story with all kinds of purpose. I mean, I, we talked about it already, you know, there's so much depth to this remake and I, fortunately it doesn't involve the unmasking of the boogeyman, like every other goddamn remake of this era. Instead, I think we get a real fr- fleshed out premise that exudes tension Again, like we discussed, in the original one, shit goes down, everyone becomes believers fairly quick. This time, the doubt really does haunt the cabin, and it casts a dark shadow on the characters within, but it also casts a dark shadow on us. I mean, Mm. seeing Mia gaslit in the first act, especially in the unrated cut, it really does play with your emotions, uh, which is what the best horror should do. And, And again, it doesn't sacrifice the mystery, which is so important. It's such a hard toe... Uh, it's, it's such a hard line to tell. Um, all bets are off, as we've joked. Uh, and I think we can appreciate that in this era that we've dubbed Hug Me Horror. Um, yes, there are hugs between David and Mia, uh, a little too many <laughs> that begins to get a little creepy, actually, uh, which we didn't discuss too much. But a lot of chemistry between those two. A lot of chemistry. Mm. But I think it's caked in with a lot of uh, just unrelenting terror. Oh, God, it just goes to such great lengths to make us squirm. I said before, this isn't a fun movie. I mean, it's a fun movie, but it's not fun in the same way the original is uh, in being, you know, this kind of midnight mayhem brand of hijinks. I think this is fun in a gallows humor way. It's kind of like when we have a brush of death and we have that adrenaline that's coursing through our veins and we say, shit, I really thought I'd die back there. That's kind of what this movie does for me. I mean, this movie doesn't fuck around. It's bloody. It's merciless. It's shocking. Uh, Shocking the same way the original was in many ways still is. The score is tough to watch. You feel every tendon being torn. You wince at every limb being lobbed off. Fetty Alvarez pitched the film as the audience watching something they're not supposed to watch. And I think that's a really good way to describe this movie. Like you're in there and you're just like, this is, I don't want to be here. And I'm being forced to watch this. (laughs) Beyond that, I think the characters are pretty easy to root for, uh, especially Mia and Eric. I think the whiplash direction feels both of this world and of our modern world. I think the narrative turns, especially that final act with Mia, are still commendable, even when you know it's coming on the second or tenth watch. I never knew I needed an Evil Dead remake, but this film proves uh, a new approach isn't always a bad thing. So I'm going 
it's going to piss off everyone. Four and a half chainsaws for me. I, wow. uh, one right. little prop nail, preferably from uh, Eric's hand. I, I just, I love this movie. <laughs> this is one of my favorite movies of the last, one of my favorite horror movies of the last 10 years. So I uh, was so stoked that I was able to talk about it here. So who's yeah. going to piss, who are you pissing off? People listening or something right now? I, I don't know. I think there are some like diehard fans of the original Evil Dead that have a lot of qualms. Well, with look, this. if people and are I just, upset I love because people, look, I get these weirdos out there get upset if you don't like the new Halloween movie. But, you know, if you're upset at people for liking something, you know, go for a walk. I mean, yeah. I, don't, I don't know what to tell yeah. you. Ease up, lighten up, Francis. <laughs> Dan, what about, what about you? I was very surprised on this rewatch. Like I said, I still have a few issues with it. Um, but I don't know, because there are also issues I have with the original series. I just don't think I thought about them much with the original series because it was the original series with a capital T-O-S, you know? Like you were saying, Justin, I think revisiting this just and meeting it on its own terms what just made it such a, I want to say more pleasurable viewing experience, but a more effective viewing experience. And I don't, I don't see many horror movies these days, let alone remakes, going for broke like this does in terms of stakes, what they add into the story with the drug addiction, in terms of grisliness. It, it, it never feels exploitative. Like it, I hate to use this word because it's so overwrought, but it, it, it does earn everything that it sets out to do. Yeah, maybe I don't remember the supporting characters so well. There are a couple things within the mythology that are a little bit too explicit for my taste just in the pages of the book. But man, I... I was kind of blown away by this a lot more than I was the the first time around. And like I said, I didn't hate it the first time around, but it was I, I think I viewed it as unmemorable. Back in the day, I probably would have given this three chainsaws, but I'm giving this a full on four chainsaws uh, mm. today. I, I was really curious about how, how I was going to feel about this movie, and I ended up being quite taken by it. And I, I know nowadays we're always like, oh, well, this remake is actually really good, or this is better than the original. I'm not saying it's better than the original, but I do think this deserves the reappraisal that it seems to be getting, um, especially as we gear up for Evil Dead Rise. So, yeah, loved it for Chainsaws for me. Oh. Uh, Dan Bob says, check it out. Uh, Dan Bob. <laughs> yep. Have those words ever been put together, I wonder? Yeah. Uh, don't answer that question, everybody. <laughs> Dan Bob. Dan saying, Bob. There's got to be a guy named Dan Bob. I hope yeah. so. I pray there is. Rachel, <laughs> how about you? Okay, so when it comes to like remakes, reboots, requels, I am of the opinion and a big proponent of people, you know, making them their own, doing mm. something new, moving the franchise or the IP forward in some way. I don't want to see a shot for shot remake, but I didn't always feel that way. And I really do credit this movie for kind of opening my eyes to that approach. This was the first time I went into a film really just having a lot of expectations and anxiety around how it would, you know, treat and approach the original film. And it, it really blew me away. I loved it. And I just think that there's a scrappiness to it that is very similar to the original in the way that they approach the effects. Like we were talking about, there's a visceral brutality that no matter how many times I've seen it, like is always effective. And I always find myself cringing a little. I'm like, oh God, even though I know it's coming and I know what happens, like it still gets to me. And I just, I love Mia. And every time I watch it, I feel like I pick up on something new that I appreciate how they handled that character, how they integrated it with the original story, but also how they play with just a lot of horror tropes and genre tropes and those kind of things. So I think it's great. And I love to see it getting love because, I don't know, people can be harsh and for something as iconic and pivotal and influential as Evil Dead, like... 
good job, guys. Like, you fucking nailed this. <laughs> no pun intended. I was going to say, hold on, <laughs> no, hold on say no. but, This movie uh, has teeth. Uh, no pun intended. Yeah. But... Yes, and I, I do think it's funny looking at my Letterboxd review from a few years ago that I'm upping it because, and I just logged it yesterday, so you can go and see that this is actually how I felt about it then and now that I'm giving it four and a half um, chainsaws because I think it's, this is this is what a remake should be. This is what a sequel should be. Like, this is what you should do with it. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. For me, it's harkens back to what I was discussing literally hours ago is when I first saw this movie, it really was about the circumstances under which I saw it. You know, it was mm-hmm. so close to the deconstruction, the cabin in the woods, the promotional campaign. We all still wanted to see Ash. Cut to yeah. 2022. We're four years removed from Ash's final farewell in Ash vs. Evil Dead. You know, people are not talking about cabin in the woods like they were 11 years ago. Nobody's remembering that promo campaign. You're able to see it detached from all of that, from all those extenuating circumstances and just enjoy it on its own. Nostalgia is a funny thing. And I think that sometimes it can be positive as opposed to negative. But it's bizarre in terms of nostalgia that even though this movie is only nine years old, in many ways we're, we're already looking back fondly on the good old <laughs> days of practical effects in horror movies. And it's only been 2013. And we're already feeling that way, which is a positive for this movie, if not a negative towards the rest of the business. Uh, anyway, the movie has grown in my eyes. Uh, before, it wasn't like I utterly dismissed it. I, I wasn't treating it like I was treating these new Halloween movies, so please watch those star ratings. But I flat out thought this was just a good experience this time around. And it's something that I would, be, I, I would plan on revisiting in the future. And something else about it, when you, once again, you remove it from all the other circumstances, it's interesting to talk about it. And there's horror movies I love that, you know... We're, we're, we're like picking at every possible splinter to try to think of something to talk about for any period of time. But there's a lot talking about deconstruction. There is a lot to deconstruct here when it comes to this movie. So I'm going to give it a three and a half uh, chainsaws out of five. I, I still feel like that original trilogy is its own thing. And, and to be fair, it might be my favorite trilogy of all time. So it's almost impossible to compare it to those three personally. But uh, no, good movie. Uh, Justin Bob says <laughs> check it out and i think that comes to a 4.125 chainsaws out of five if somebody wants to not do bad. the math uh, feel free but uh, yeah a, a high recommendation i'm not sure i would have thought that a year ago to be honest with you i'm looking forward to talking to vanderbilt and mac if they end up rewatching it and, and getting their reactions because i don't think they've seen it in years either so but uh look for all you halloweenies out there as you know it's been a hell of an august we just did a great episode on horror remakes, 10 of them that we'd like to see. Uh, we released from our banks of our Patreon page an old episode we did on Near Dark, which I think was our first Patreon episode. It was. Dan and I were on that for sure. And I think Mac might have been on that. And mm, Heather, Heather Wixon. Wixon, the great Heather Wixon, was a guest on that episode. If you haven't subscribed to our Patreon, please do. I'm not sure if I've given enough plugs in this episode, but I'll do it again. Patreon.com backslash Pod. A tribute to the great David Warner. Uh, we did a commentary for one of the movies that he was in. We're, we're not going to reveal it unless you, unless you can sign in. It's been the hardest thing to ever promote. It's just, I know, it's just, I know. But look, it's a yeah. lot of fun. If it, We pay great uh, reference and deference to Mr. Warner in that. And we also have an episode on the Monster Squad on that very same Patreon. Heck of an August. As for September, literally, 
Who knows? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, we got we, an idea, we but we're gonna, we've got a backup plan. We have scenarios, but we, we don't yeah. have the decision yet. Yeah. But we don't know quite yet, but we know it's going to be one hell of a September. Uh, Mike, well, what's going on in Losers Club land? What's, uh, that all, by the way, everybody in this episode is a part of, so can you also remind us? It's true. Yeah, well, we just uh, closed the trunk on, uh, on a Buick 8, from a Buick 8. Uh, hmm. Great book. So listen to that three and a half hour episode, which was uh, which actually has three of us on here, uh, Caffrey and, yeah. Ra- and Rachel. So uh, we and Randall's on there, too. And we we had a great time with that one. And then um, by the time this is out, we should have unlocked our 30th anniversary Lobstrosities on Pet Cemetery 2, which, by the way, we're going to be screening at our Losers Club Film Festival or Stephen King Film Festival here at the, in Chicago at the News Box Theater over Labor Day weekend. Where we're going to be doing a double feature of Doctor Sleep and The Shining. Uh, we're going to be doing a Rob Reiner double feature of Stand by Me and Misery. That worked out nice. We're also going to be celebrating forty years of Creep Show and uh, the great Greg Nicotero, who has some connected connective tissue to this franchise, Evil Dead, is going to be there. And uh, we're also going to be doing our own live show, which uh, we're going to be debuting there at that uh, that film festival. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to the stuff that we have planned this fall. Obviously, there's a new there's a new uh, Stephen King book, Fairy Tale. He's celebrating his 75th birthday, and uh, we're also going to be going to Maine. So, holy shit, what a busy fucking uh, yeah, fall no that we have ahead of us. And uh, and that's all without uh, discussing the stuff we have on Halloweenies in fall, also. So it's uh, it's never a dull moment for us in this group. That's that's your pull quote from the episode. Never a dull moment. Rachel, how about you? What, what else is going on in your neck of the woods? Hopefully not a cabin. But uh. No, no, no cabins. Um, just continuing to do some interviews here and there. You can catch me on those. I have a monthly column on Dread Central, I guess I'll plug, called Terror on the Turntable, where I talk about horror film scores. And my most recent one was on The Hills Have Eyes, because that is a fascinating little association and nugget. The music to that film, Don Peak, the composer for that, is mm. uh, incredibly talented. Has a just mind-blowing resume. So his involvement with that film is just one of those really fascinating cinematic nuggets that you would never expect. So if you're interested in that, you can head on over and check that out at Dread Central. My favorite piece of music in that, obviously, is M3-64. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, 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 old, the good old days. Yep. Dan doesn't like to talk about his successes for some reason, but Dan, I know you recently had some uh, short play put up. Uh, you want to talk a little <laughs> bit about that? Uh, yeah, I had a, a short horror play called Duck Ass that was in the uh, Samuel French Off-Off-Broadway Short Play Festival, my my New York debut, so it was super fun. Awesome. Uh, yeah, we, we they essentially it's 30 plays they pick from like 650, and then... Uh, all 30 get performed once, then 12 get performed. Uh, no, sorry, 11 get performed one more time, then six get published. I did not get to get published, but I did get to go to the finals and perform it last night. And uh, it uh, it went, uh, if I do say so myself, it went over very well. Uh, the crowd, it was a little spooky. Uh, the crowd was very invested mm-hmm. in it and uh, had a lot of vocal reactions. And it was just awesome to do theater again, for real. Like it's That's been, extremely exciting. We're really proud of it. It's been years, man. It's got to be oh, nice thanks. to get that success in New York, too, you know? Yeah, what? No, it was. I mean, you know, just a ten-minute play, but it was at Playwrights Horizons, which is one of my favorite theater companies. I'm, I've, I've never had anything go up on a stage here. Um, it was a mixture of 
both some friends from UT and then some new people I met in the city. So it was, it was an awesome weekend all around. So, uh, if anyone wants to read it, um, you can either shoot me an email or, uh, ask on social media or go to the new play exchange and download it. It's called duck ass. It's, it's horror, but I won't tell you what kind of monster is in it, but there's mm. a little creature in it. So like uh, Caffrey's author, author over here, you know, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Excell- speaking of exclamation points and scream exclamation points <laughs> yeah. and author, author. Well, Dan, you mentioned duck. I can't believe you haven't been to the show, the showbiz cafe. I think the four of us need to go there right now. We'll get you some duck fat fries that uh, Rachel mentioned. I think it's named after, of course, Donald Duck, one of our favorite animated characters. Rothman, I know you're going to get the Lee J. Cobb salad. I'm not sure when they get yet, but I can't wait to find out. But uh, we'll head over there before we head back to the cabin, hopefully, next month. And when we do, we hope that you will all join us. Join us. This is the end of our show, for now. We hope you enjoyed this production. If you like our programming, consider searching for other bloody disgusting podcasts, such as Creepy, Horror Queers, The Boo Crew, SCP Archives, Nightlight, Margaret's Garden, and more. <laughs>